artist's looking for now, Frankenstein? I know I'd go from rags to riches. Why, a four-year-old child could understand this report. Run out and find me a four-year-old child. I can't make a head or tail out of it. Baravelli, you've got the brain of a four-year-old boy, and I bet he was glad to get rid of it. Eight episodes in, Twitch has not copyright struck us for that song yet. Fingers crossed, two more episodes ago, we get through it. Hello, everybody, welcome to Your List Sucks Top 100. Tonight, we are in the top 20. Number 11 for everybody. We're getting out of the nitty gritty. Uh, this is where champions are made in these last couple episodes. So it's still any with one's game. Anything can happen. Scott Harvey, last week you returned your winning ways in a semi-dominant match. Well, if this is where champions are made, I'm not feeling too good because I think tonight is going to be rough uh, for me. I think this is this is my other other rough week where last place is definitely a strong possibility. Um, but you know what? We're into the, the god tier of the list, so I'm just going to have to compensate with being extra passionate about these movies. All right. Second place last week, I think, was Jake. Uh, I think I was third, but uh... third. Oh, Amaru, I'm sorry, Rue. Rue was second. I. It's, it's, all, it's all it's all blur at this point. It's yeah, you guys are close. Time. It was very close between the two of you last week. Uh, Rue, two weeks left to go. You think you can pull it out? I don't know because 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 the Rue y'all might have been expecting from the beginning. He's here now. What y'all know about me? You're gonna be seeing from me, and me and you, Kirk, our our tastes aren't always aligned when it comes to our true, like, favorite selves. So I feel like 2-3 range might be where it's at, but I can steal it if Scott's saying, um, yeah, we'll see. It's all, yeah. All right. Uh, Jake, you've been maybe the most, the, the highest highs, the lowest lows of anybody on the show so far. You've had some first place finishes, last place finishes, everywhere in between. Uh, how's the top 20 look for you? I feel pretty good about it. I, I have some uh, predictions tonight. Uh, I think that Spence is going to choose uh, Agent Cody Banks and Rue is going to Shut choose up. the rundown. <laughs> Based on patterns. And Scott is going yeah. to maybe pick Boogie Knights, I'm thinking. I don't know. I already picked it. So. Uh, <laughs> Boogie Knights, too. Yeah, rundown is in the 90s, sir. All right. Okay. Bringing in that last, uh, last place last week, uh, Spence. You're running out of opportunities here, my friend. Uh, top 20. Is this where you uh, pull the lead, that last second finish? No, but uh, <laughs> since we're officially friends now, you can't insult my list. I think I'm just like gifted first place. Isn't, isn't that how this works? <laughs> I'm more comfortable with you now, <laughs> which means I can insult you all the much more. That's how this works. All right, uh, let's get into it. Uh, like last week, everybody's going to talk about every movie. We'll do our bottom three if we get a chance. You will be on a timer, though, uh, for those bottom three, and then we'll go through everything like normal. Uh, but let's get Scott. Uh, start with Scott. Scott, number 20 through 18, please. All right, my number 20, the magnum opus by the Taiwanese master Edward Yang. Yee. My number 19, Francis Ha. And my number 18 was a yikes from last week, The Dark Knight. 
All right, have at it. All right, Yee Yee is a movie that I heard about for a long time, and everything I heard about it was, you know, as effusive as you can get, um, that it was one of the greatest films of the 2000s, yada, yada, yada. It was compared to Richard Linklater's movies, so I knew that whenever I actually sat down and watched this, it was going to be something that was, you know, could potentially be on my favorites list, so it was kind of like an intimidating prospect, and I didn't watch it for, like, a few years because... I mean, it's really long. And then, like I said, it's a it's an intimidating prospect. But finally, early this year, I just decided I was going to do it. I turned off all the lights. I threw my phone in the next room. I just like I had this is the only time I ever blind brought, bought a criterion of a movie without having seen it. So I, I had blind bought the criterion. I popped it in and it lives up to the hype. Like um, it, it's it's absolutely masterful. Um, it is basically this story of this one family and and. Taiwan who um, and it's just like a season in their life basically and um, it explores these different connections that they form with other individuals and sort of the central theme of the movie is that it is through your connections with other people that um, that you you learn more about yourself that you become who you are because of your connections with other people the little boy in the movie yang yang is always taking pictures of the back of everyone's head that he, he takes a lot of pictures and they're always at the back of people's head and they're like why are you doing that and he's like because because it's the part they they can't see so the idea is that you know other people help you see your your whole self um and it is just one of those movies that um, you just get lost in the world um it is like the best one of the best examples of like turning the mundane into the sublime um and so I absolutely think the movie is incredible. Um, maybe one of the best movies ever made. Uh, even at three hours, it flies by. You just get really wrapped up in these people's lives and the connection they form. Connections they form. I don't want to say too much more because I imagine a lot of people haven't seen this. So yee yee though, it's it's amazing. Uh, my nineteen is Francis Ha. Uh, Francis Ha is one of those movies where you. I really do think you have to be a certain age before you watch this. Um, and once you turn like 20 or something, um, once you turn like 20, um, this becomes possibly the most relatable movie of all time uh, because it's a story about this woman on the cusp of, a, of adulthood or really she's been thrust into adulthood without really any sort of um, knowledge or adeptness in how to make her way in the world. And obviously it's set in New York and that's a huge aspect of the movie as well, just trying to make your way in this huge city where it seems like at times everyone has it all together um, and you don't. And Greta Gerwig is perfect for the role of Frances because um, she has like that just gangly awkwardness about her like physical persona that fits the character really well. Um, and I, there's just like for every moment that is like where she's, you know, it's awkward. It's a little cringy, like some of the stuff she's doing. It's balanced out with just like a beautiful moment. Maybe my favorite scene is like, there's this dinner party that she goes to with one of her friends and she's sitting there with a lot of, you know, rich people who have it all together. Again, she clearly doesn't fit in. She sort of puts her foot in her mouth multiple times at the dinner table. Um, it's awkward. And then it cuts to the next scene of them, like after dinner. And she goes on this monologue, this beautiful monologue where she's talking about like what she wants from relationships. And it's just like opening her, her heart up to everyone. And by the end of the scene, everyone has kind of like changed their opinion about her. And they're like, wow, there was something about this earnestness that this person just showed that I like, you know, that made me think differently of them than I previously thought. And that's just like a beautiful sentiment. Um, 
it's it's such a, a joyful movie. It's it's one that um, I want to be able to show to my kids someday as like, hey, life is hard, but you can do it. Like that's kind of I think what Francis Ha is about. And it's also an extremely funny movie. It's probably Noah Baumbach's funniest movie. It's the moment where um, his writing started getting a little bit more heartfelt because it's the first movie that he co-wrote with Greta Gerwig. Um, so this movie is one that will probably grow even to my top 10 as time goes on. It's just, I think it'll get better with age. I love Francis Ha. And my number 18, The Dark Knight. Yeah, with this movie, I mean, number one, there's really not that much to be said because it's, you know, such a well-regarded, iconic comic book movie. Um, but I think Christopher Nolan did what I wish more comic book uh, movie directors would do, which is they just decide to make a Michael Mann movie instead of a superhero movie, um, because that's kind of what The Dark Knight is. It's this um, sort of morality play uh, about this cl these clash between really three individuals, because you have uh, Bruce Wayne, Batman, you have the Joker and you have Harvey Dent, um, all three played spectacularly by their respective actors, I think. Um, but particularly the Batman Joker conflict is so um, mesmerizing because that just that the Joker as that agent of chaos, right, with like not really any real mission except to push Batman to his brink, right? Like he wants to make Batman do what Batman will not do, which is kill. Um, and just sort of the there's something just so like, again, scary about. That he doesn't that he doesn't really have any plan that he's just willing to do whatever it, it takes to just incite chaos um and heath ledger is obviously giving one of the all-time great movie performances uh yeah, villain performances i mean movie performances too honestly but um you know he fully deserved deserved that oscar it is the best comic book movie ever made because it's not even really a comic book movie um that's what i like about it um and i think the writing is really what makes all three of these Batman movies for me, uh, of Nolan's Batman movies for me, because I think the DCEU has shown what can happen if you try to make a gritty superhero movie, but you have somebody like Zack Snyder writing it, and it just comes off as uh, tin-eared and cheesy and just weird. Uh, but Christopher Nolan, Jonathan Nolan, David Goyer, they really know um, how to give this movie the the heft but also like the pulpiness of a comic book movie and some of the like droll humor of the joker is also um really offsets um you know the a, a lot of what's going on in the movie so the dark knight is one of the greatest blockbusters of all time it's a you know pop movie masterpiece i uh also had the dark knight uh at 23 last week and yeah a lot of people will talk about how the dark knight is not a great movie it's just a great performance in a movie However, Christopher Nolan was smart enough to understand that the movie is the Joker. The Joker is in every aspect of this movie, meaning that every aspect of this movie around him is also elevated and great. The action set pieces, the performances around him are also great. Morgan Freeman is always underrated in this. I feel like he gets forgotten about a lot, but he's great at Lucius Fox. Um, I really like uh, Aaron Ar Eckhart um, as um, uh, Harvey Dent. As Two-Face, he's okay. Um, except when he does, the, except every time he does the coin, I love when he does the coin, but outside of that, it is a little over the top. Um, but as Harvey Dent, I think he's great. The dynamic between him and, and uh, Christian Bale, uh, also works, uh, but everything is focused on the Joker and a performance when the crux of your movie is based on a performance like that, the rest of the movie, uh, 
just needs to not drop the ball and it does not drop the ball at all. Um, I, I, you'll see soon. I don't consider it the greatest comic book movie of all time. Um, but it is amazing. And, um, I love it. Anybody else have dark Knight? Okay. Uh, let's go back to E. I watched this, uh, for the first time this week. I never said like Scott, I had something I'd heard about, wanted to watch it, never got around to it. So, uh, you know, this definitely gave me an excuse. Um, it's crazy because when I was sitting there watching it, I it was I liked it, but I felt the length a little bit, felt like the drag a little bit. Uh, I haven't rated it on Letterbox yet. If I had rated it then, compared to now, like if I when I rate when I rate it now, it's probably going to be like a star to like half a star better, uh, higher. So I think just sitting with it and like the memory of the movie to me is almost better than the movie itself. Um, mm. It's a really great looking movie. Um, it's almost all wide shots, not a lot of, you know, some medium shots, very few close ups. Um, really interesting camera placement, a lot of places, and not like in real artsy ways that draw attention to themselves, just really interesting ways to visually tell the story. Um, so I like that. Um, Yang Yang is awesome. I, yeah. I fell in love with that kid. Um, I won't spoil anything, but there's a moment where it looks like something in this movie, um, something bad is going to happen to him. And I was like, my, my heart fell out of my chest. I was like about to flip a table over. And then you see he's okay. And I'm like, like literally breathe a sigh of relief. The kid is great. Um, but yeah, I, I, but I think the, the, the parts are better than the whole, if that makes sense. Um, and I didn't love it as much as a lot of other people do, but it was still, it's still pretty solid. I think if I go back to it, I'll probably like it more. Uh, I've said before, I love Francis Ha. Uh, I watched this for the first time because I was playing you in trivia, Scott. Uh, I watched it, and you know, when I focus on trivia, when I watch a trivia, it's all I do. It's like movie done, next one go. I watched this, and the next day I was like, I got my wife and daughter together. I'm like, you guys have to watch this movie. So I watched it again the next day with them. Uh, that's how much I liked it. Such a relatable character. Greta Gorg is so good in it. Um, I just love the scene where uh, with the David Bowie song where the camera's, uh, you know, the tracking shot. Modern Love, camera, yeah. Yeah, Modern Love where it's moving and then it catches up with her. She's just running and kind of dancing. It's like, it's mm -hmm. it's it's such a great character because she has all this stuff, uh, you know, working against her. She's just kind of like, she's almost like a sad sack. Like she just, just nothing works out with her friends or her relationships or her job. And, uh, but she still has like this, like, determination and this like upbeat positivity uh no matter how terrible th and things get bad for her like there's just mm -hmm. really moments of this where like oh my god just put her out of her misery um but she just sticks with it and it's it's you, you just you you root for her um so yeah i that's that's another solid pick uh dark knight i won't spend too much time on because i've talked about it before and i really don't have any other you know two original opinions on it um i will say again that i love the joker in this um obviously um but i think that Nicholson's uh, Nicholson's Joker is probably more comics accurate as far as the look and the uh, the the origin. Uh, but this Joker just captures what the Joker is supposed to feel like, just on a guttural level. When I remember the first time I watched this, every time he's on the screen, you're scared. You don't know what he's going to do. He's completely unpredictable. That's how you should feel with the Joker. I also love the scene between Two-Face and the Joker in the hospital because it captures the core of both those characters so perfectly. Uh, so, yeah, a lot to love about that movie. Like I said, I won't talk about it too much because, like I said, I've said everything I have to say, and it's it's not, you know, it's nothing groundbreaking. Uh, so everybody else got a chance to talk about Scott's three movies. Uh, you are on the time limit. Uh, but, Spence, uh, go ahead. Give us your thought on those three films. I have not seen Yee Yee. Francis Ha didn't mean to revisit because when I saw it in like 2015, I thought it was shitty. And I don't really know why. I have no reason to. I was like, oh, it's, it's, it's on Letterboxd at two and a half. No reason. 
need I need to revisit, revisit it. Dark Knight used to be on my list, and then I realized that because I'll never love it as much as everyone else, I questioned my love for it in general. So I wanted to give myself time to like sit on. It. I'm not going to watch it for as long as I can until fandom yells at me too. So it was here. Pretty great movie. I won't be returning. Hey Todd, what the fuck? Fuck you, Coho. <laughs> All right, Rue, you got two movies to talk about. No, I don't. I've never seen either one, so go ahead, Jake. <laughs> Easy enough, Jake. Uh, Francis Ha. Uh, okay, so I never uh, got why... Uh, I was confused when Noah Baumbach made that De Palma movie because I was like, those two guys are so different. Uh, but then I was listening to an interview with Greta Gerwig uh, where Sarah Pauly was interviewing her and said, uh, basically, how did you get such a naturalistic performance there must have been so much improv on Francis Ha and uh, her answer was there was no improv like it was like all timed out where I had to touch a book on a specific timing and pick it up and put it back and none of it was improvised so he's actually a very technical director and I was watching his movies all all wrong that he actually meticulously plans it up to make it look so natural it's crazy all right uh, Spence, that takes us to your number 20 through number 18. My 20 is Clockwork Orange. My 19 is Your Name. And my 18 is the unrenowned classic Mama Mia. Here we go again. <laughs> no, God, please, no. Fuck you, Cubo. This is not only one of the best movies of all time. It is the movie that got me into movies. I sat down and I was watching fucking YouTube videos. And they said that Stanley Kubrick is the, the best director of all time. I'm not going to back it up. Neither here nor there. And if this is the number one movie, you need to go watch it. So I watched it. And it blew me away. And this is when I decided I wanted to fall in love with movies. I rewatched a couple times since then. And while it's never been that perfect of a film, it's, it went from like a five to a four and a half. It's still fantastic. One of my favorite stories ever told because of how fucking harrowing it is. I'll always keep it really high because it is the movie that sort of broke me into following this as like, as a, as like an education and a career path. And beyond that, Malcolm McDowell gives an all-time performance. I think him as, as Alex is an incredible protagonist because while you're not rooting for him, you're still with him through every step of the journey. And it is hard to watch everything he goes through. It makes you question everything about your beliefs and what he's going through as an individual, about can people change? Uh, and uh, the, the, the droogs are all little bitches. And politics, number 19, your name. Uh, <laughs> uh, I like to imagine I'm into anime. And I'm like, ooh, this is getting pretty good reviews. And I should watch it. And you know what? Uh it's the when I was in my top forty animated list. This is the best animated animated movie of all time, in my opinion. Maybe not favorite. You, that might come up later. We don't know, but I think that nothing has honestly captured storytelling and like the medium of animation like this did. This is incredible. It's just in a, in a, an amazing story that keeps you guessing every time you every time you watch it. Even when I come back, I forget little bits and pieces here and there that add to the overall mystery and how it solved at the end. I love the ending of it, and it also has one of my favorite, like, singular scenes and even, like, single, like, shots in any animated movie ever of them reuniting for the first time, which is just an incredible way to how they, how they structured it. Uh, Makoto Shinkai is someone who has, like, a fucking free pass to make anything he wants after this, because honestly, if he can make one of these on top of all the other great films he's made, I think he's not going to get a step as a director. 
Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again is an anomaly of a film. Because I hate the original. Literally in my bottom 10 movies ever. I fucking despise it. A horrible time. And I don't know what the fuck he did. But old Parker, the guy that made Imagine Me and You, who no one even gives a shit about, said, you know what? I'll take a shot at this. And made a sequel to a to an adaptation of a musical, which far, far surpasses the original in every way imaginable. You get rid of all the pieces, all the pieces from the original film that do not work. You recast a lot of the original talent, or you don't recast, but like you add the younger version of the talent, who is better than the talent in the previous film. You thought they're huge, big name, big name actors. Almost every song is great. I really don't like uh, the song that Sky and Sophie sing when they were like having a fight because I hate Sky. He's boring. Everyone else is great. It's, all, it's a big, it's a, it's a big gay camp romp fun time. Uh, this is one of the most rewatchable movies ever. No secret, I saw it with Kirk, uh, and I could not tell you how I just sat there and was like, yes, this scene, and this scene, and this scene. And I had this movie memorized in my fucking head. And I normally don't like movies that I can just, like, replay over and over and over. But this sticks with me in such a great fucking way, and I can't wait to revisit it every time I watched it. I've watched it five times in two years, and I plan to watch it again three more times next year. It's that fucking great. All right, uh, Clockwork Orange. Yeah, I love this movie. I waited a really long time to, uh, to to come to this one just because I knew the general subject matter and I knew what a hard watch it was going to be, so I wasn't looking forward to it. Uh, but once I sat down and actually watched it, I loved it. Um, I just love like that like um, like post-apocalyptic kind of otherworldly uh, you know setting it has. Uh, where you know it's kind of like out of time and space is its own thing. Uh, I love the droogs. I love the way they talk, just like the language of the movie. Uh, just it's almost like Shakespearean the way they talk. Uh, Malcolm McDowell's great, and yeah, it asks some like it's not a, it's a it's a challenging movie. It asks you some like really difficult questions, like asks difficult qu- things of you, like you know, is this okay? What's you know, what's the worst thing happening here? And I you know, I don't know the answer to that question. I think that's a good thing about a movie, like when it's not easy. Uh, and this is not an easy movie to watch uh, for a lot of reasons, um, but it is great. It's fa- it's fantastically made. Um, a lot of really cool scenes, um, great performances. Uh, so yeah, thumbs up on Clockwork Orange. Your name is another one I hadn't watched. Wanted to get around to uh, finally watch it this week because of the show. Um, I liked it. Um, I think it's going to suffer a little bit for, uh, from overhype for me. Uh, I'm not going to say anything bad about it. I enjoyed it. Um, something about just anime character design just turns me like it's hard for me to like connect to those characters. I don't know why any like anime show movie. Um, I don't know what it is. Just something about it. The rest of the movie looks fantastic. Like the, 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 the establishing shots, like all the different, like the sky and the, 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 the shots of the town look fantastic. Some of the greatest animation I've ever seen. Um, the story's great. The, it kind of drags me a little bit. I think like the, the, the ending is really good. The last 10 minutes are really strong. Um, just takes a little bit of time to get there, though. Um, but again, it's a good movie. Um, I again, it's not as, as high as it is for, for me. It is for a lot of people. Uh, and Mamma Mia, here we go again. Yeah, this is one. Uh, Spencer's at my house. I know everybody was you know making a big deal about this is the movie we were watching. Uh, Spencer so came and sat down, watches with my family. I will say, having Spencer in the room watching this, and his their enthusiasm and their excitement over it um, was kind of infectious. Uh, and the positive thing I will say about this movie is it knows exactly what it is. 
it is a just it's just a it's just a fun jukebox musical it's not making any attempt to be anything else or go below that surface at all and so i had fun with it uh 18 all time is crazy um <laughs> but it was a fun little romp so yeah so it was fun watching it with these bits thanks for coming over it was a good time everybody everybody enjoyed having you uh, every, I think everybody, my, my son sat down and ended up watching the movie. I think he enjoyed it too. So it's a great uh, movie. It's fun, really fun to watch it. Fun for the whole family. Um, so uh, we'll start with uh, Scott this time. Scott, why don't you go ahead and give us your thoughts on these three films? A Clockwork Orange. I've kind of given my Kubrick take before. I very much admire most of his movies. None of them that I really truly love, except for Eyes Wide Shut, which I had at the beginning of my list. Um, the same applies to Clockwork Orange. Great movie. Uh, not something that I'm going to rewatch that often. Um, Your Name, I just watched for the first time a few months ago. Loved it. Um, definitely my kind of, of movie. One of those, you know, sort of spontaneous connection romance movies. Yeah, be- visually beautiful. The whole, like, magic hour sequence is is amazing. Um, definitely one I want to, I do want to return to. And Mamma Mia, here we go again is glorious um i i I have the exact same take as spence which is that i don't i think the first one is also bad um and then this one like kirk said it just knows exactly what it is and what it is is pure fun those abba songs are amazing you really only need to do a half halfway decent story as long as you got those songs um and even some of the beat like the deeper cuts that come out in this movie on the soundtrack like one of us and andante andante like those are really great songs because it's freaking abba so no, no, uh, no shame for this pick. It's a, it's a wonderful movie. All right, Rue, your thoughts? Wheel it all around in Jacob. Right. Wow, easy enough. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, I thought I was so cool in uh, high school with my Clockwork Gorge uh, shirt. I had it from like the book cover, but I tried to read the book and couldn't because there was so much crazy Lego. So I'm very thankful for this movie. Although I did have a friend in high school who always wanted to like watch it at parties, which is kind of a fucking bummer. <laughs> it's like, nah, no thanks, dude. No one really wants this is the move for a clockwork orange right now. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think uh, for Mamma Mia, here we go again. That movie rules. Watch with my sister and my wife. Uh, Lily James is a goddamn movie star. You can just tell, like, uh, she's great. We all walked away. We're like, that girl, eh? Right? Like, crazy you know charisma that's what charisma looks like and, uh yeah all right uh Amaru, let's do your 2318 all right uh my number 20 is my cousin Vinny. uh my number 19 is lord of the rings the return of the king and my number 18 is get out nice all right uh my cousin Vinny. nice <laughs> uh, my cousin Finney is just one of the most perfect comedies ever. It 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 goes into the bumbling into things so hilariously. How they bumble into actually getting arrested and the miscommunication between Ralph Macchio and the and the performers, and then coming in and uh, Vinny bumbling into being the lawyer and going into the first court scene and clashing uh, with the judge, um, and just that continuing to roll and roll and roll with the witnesses. Um, 
and you realize as you're laughing, the movie just continues to pick up steam and go go just more and more and faster and faster. And so that culminating courtroom scene with Mona Lisa Vito, uh, I just looked at the um, the nominations for Best Actress that year, and I was like, yeah, yeah, why not? I, 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 you know what? I don't know any of the other performances. They don't. I've never heard of these movies. Let's go uh, with with Marissa Tomei winning that because she killed the fact that she's a car expert in cars. <laughs> Let's move on to nineteen. <laughs> in uh... <laughs> anyway, uh, and uh, Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King is an epic finale to probably the best trilogy of all time. Um, and it, it's been talked about to death, but it, it deserves it because this, all three of these movies, including the five, six, seven, eight endings it has at the end, um, is just amazing and great. Look, trying to think of more things to say, thinking about it, this might have some of the best acting out of each of the, out of the performances when Gandalf and Pippin together um, are really great, especially when you um, include... Uh, John Noble as Denethor, uh, he just kind of elevates every every scene he's in because he's one of the best uh, actors at being despicable. And in contrasting with that, with this Pippin's just upbeat naivete and him learning, that's great. Um, Viggo Mortensen really having to take the reins of becoming king, and him taking the sword and 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 and. T telling the the dead man of the Dunharrow to 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 honor their word is a really just uplifting speech, and then his speech at the end when he goes uh, finishes off for for Frodo and runs off. Um, this movie again, it is the epic finale to one of the best trilogies of all time, um, and it has the second best uh, action sequence. You know what? Maybe even third best action sequence in in the the movie in um, the Battle of the uh, Pelennor Fields. It, it's it's great. Um, and Legolas, as always, gets his gets his one cut. Uh, people make people call Legolas' scenes kind of way too much. No, it's perfect because he's a fucking G. Um, and then eighteen, get out. So minus Sleepy Hollow. This is the only other horror movie on my list because horror is not my thing, and. There is a hundred percent bias in this because Get Out is the type of horror film I like because it connects to me. This motherfucking movie is scary. Walking in the affluent neighborhood as a black male, um, putting your fist up, and then another black man shaking it. Um, the use of black men's bodies and black women's bodies as fodder for white people, um, and putting that all together and making it the scariest thing that the black community can think of. Uh, is absolutely terrifying, and it's a psychological mindfuck. And the way that Jordan uh, Peele is able to put that together, use absolutely perfect music to go along with it, opening up with uh, Redbone was great. Um, oh, um, what's, what's, what's the old girl's name? Uh, Brian Williams' daughter, something Williams. Uh, Allison Williams. Thank you, Allison Williams. Uh, even though you kind of, it, it took a minute for you to see that you could call out that she was a part of it. But for a while, you're like, oh, wow, I kind of believe you. And then you look back at all the little things she did, not letting the police officer look at his, uh, look at the, the driver's license. Uh, and then the whole scene separating the milk from the fruit, the fruit loops. Um, just all the little sub subtle and not so subtle uh, messages 
that are put into this movie are pitch perfect. Um, Bradley Whitford is amazing in this. Um, and then I guess the uh, one other like thing that I've heard people give it crap for is Little Rel Howry and how his comedy doesn't fit into this film. And that is a hundred percent my friends. A hundred percent. I'm doing shit like going on a couple's retreat or a couple's trip or doing something serious. And all my boys are doing is giving me shit. And that is exactly a real life person. When that cop car came in and the door opened and it said TSA, I think outside of portals, that is the largest, loudest round of applause I've ever seen in a movie theater, it was so damn satisfying and even better when I realized the first ending and how we didn't have to go through more trauma, how we got a win. And it was a satisfying win. And it, this movie is so damn good. It introduced Daniel Kaluuya to the world and introduced Jordan Peele as a director to the world. And I absolutely love it. Uh, I think Jake also had Get Out uh, as well. Yeah, it's 62. Did anyone else have it? Mm -hmm. okay i yeah i uh agree with you i think that the comedy of his best friend is like right in line i kind of wish like every uh movie had that character in it like just a, a relatable i find it very yeah i find him very relatable like that's how people would be in a horror movie like that's how someone would be uh and i really love this movie for like there's the premise is a mystery in this movie. You don't really know what's going on the whole time. I love that about it. Uh, and I love how I think it's uh, been you spoke to it kind of. But the whole audience is basically like when the cops show up, you're like immediately in fear. And that's like that is like uh, a movie having a like symbiotic relationship with the audience where it's like actually like direct empathy where you're like terrified for you can relate now with it in, in the, the, the safety of art, you can relate with this uh, black character and how he must feel when those cop cars uh, show up, which I think is really one of the best things a movie can do. Okay. Um, so my cousin Vinny, Vinny, uh, I wish Cody was here judging for you. Uh, Cause you'd get much higher marks if he was here. Um, I don't hate the movie. Um, it's just not top 100 tier for me. It's funny. Uh, Pesci's good in it. Marissa Tomei is good in it. Um, strong cast, but it just I it does doesn't click with me as anything other as a comedy. You watch a okay, you're done. Um, it's not like an, I, I don't see this like an all time classic. Um, I respect a few do. Um, I guess I'm not gonna say anything uh, terrible about the movie. It just it is what it is. Uh, Lord of the Rings is my favorite of the trilogy. I do think it's a little long. Um, I do love the action scenes. I mean, I think the the uh, the scenes that the battle scenes of Minas Tirith are, uh, are are so much fun. Um, I think it's just when you get this, that that great fantasy action there. My pet peeve about this movie, I've said it before, is how characters are at every turn preparing for absolute certain death, and nobody ever dies. Everybody is fine every time. Um, but no, it, it's 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 good. It's it's a good wrap up to the story. Um, I think it it it. it carries that weight of what it needs to be uh to end this epic you know story that it is um i think golem's great and i think is the, the best golem we get um and yeah uh, i'm not as a huge fan of these movies like they just it's it's not out of the phantom realm uh middle earth isn't my thing how's um, king Thayden doing 
What's Faden. that? How's Thaden doing? Oh, but who cares about Thaden? <laughs> I don't remember who he is. Um, but uh, yeah, this I, I respect. I have a lot of respect for these movies, even though I don't love them. Uh, and then Get Out. Uh, I like this movie. It's one of those ones that really I, I waited a little bit longer than everybody else to watch this. And I think it, it suffered a little bit from the hype for me. Um, there is a lot of really good stuff there. Daniel Kaluuya is great in it. Uh, it is just a great uh, directorial effort, great screenplay. Um, my biggest problem with it is the, the third act. I think at thematically, it kind of starts to fall a little apart. Like all the stuff with Stephen Root just doesn't fit with the rest of the movie for me. Um, but the the one thing I'm weird, I, I never heard the complaints about Rod, the character Rod. Like I, I've never heard anybody complain about him. Like I love him. Like especially as like horror, as far as horror movie comedy comedy relief goes, like there are so many more worse examples than him. Like he's actually funny. He's actually entertaining to watch. Whether or not you like everything he's doing, like he doesn't drag the movie down like some of those other characters do. Uh, so let's go over to uh, Jake. Why don't we start with you talking about two movies you didn't talk about already? Uh, yeah, uh, with um, the my cousin Vinny, uh, Marissa Tomei uh, is like amazing in that movie, and uh, it's kind of I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, is that the best Marissa Tomei movie? And it's like clearly, and it's like it's kind of a bummer that her like breakout, and then like you watch her career, and now it's like, ah, uh, yeah, she's playing like Spider Man's aunt in like a Marvel. You know what I mean? Like that's her career now, and it's just like I was thinking like. If Lily James ended up with that career at some point, it's like, ah, sometimes it's a bummer when you think about how talented someone is. And yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Scott, what do you got? Um, so Get Out uh, is fantastic. Um, the only thing that stops it from being like five stars, I actually don't think some of like the traditional horror stuff in the movie works as well as like the social commentary and the horror that comes out of that. That's like the one thing that holds me back. And then like with us, I feel like that movie gets the horror really right. And then the social commentary is a little bit more muddled. That's my thing on us. Um, but they're both excellent movies. And Jordan Peele obviously is a really strong director. Um, Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth is one, probably number one reason why I'm not in fandom. Um, and then your 20 was my cousin Vinny. One of those movies, I don't really know how anyone doesn't like it, I, but Kirk is here. Um, but uh, <laughs> I didn't say I didn't like I, it, I didn't say it's yeah. top 100. Yeah, it's not in my top 100 either, obviously, but it's just such like an amiable, good natured. It has definitely has a lot of funny moments in it, movie, um, and very realistic courtroom scenes at times. So I always show my mock trial students the cooking grits. Um, seen on how to do a good cross-examination. So, there you go. Nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, and Spence, what do you got on Rules of 3? My Cousin Vinny? Not really good. I just think it's funny accents the movie. There's not really much going on with it. I think it's just people sort of spouting dumb shit and it's not really funny. I really don't get anything going hey, on Todd? with it. Todd? What the fuck? Don't cut, don't cut into my time, bitch. <laughs> Return of the King, I'm actually pretty good. Uh, I don't love Middle Earth. I'm pretty known for like not liking it. It's a pretty good movie. It's way too fucking long. And I don't like the universe, but you know what? It's watchable. I don't mind rewatching it every now and then for fandom. Get Out, honestly, should have been on my list. I think it's a perfect movie. Probably would have been in my 70s, I checked. I uh, don't know why it's not there, but it's an amazing fucking film. Uh, probably the best of 2017, if not number two or three. Uh, it, yeah, it's perfect. All right, Jake, hit us with your bottom three. Okay, at number 20, I have The Beyond. 
At number 19, I have Dog Day Afternoon. That's textbook pandering. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's apparently pandering to have one of the greatest movies of all time on your list. That's textbook pandering. Uh, and uh, then at 18, I have The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Okay, really? <laughs> Uh, the Beyond. The Beyond's like, um, it had to be on my list uh, just to represent basically my uh, love of like uh, camp trash uh, movies. Uh, and like, it's hard to explain um, the appeal of uh, camp horror to someone who doesn't like it. Like, it's like, oh, so you like it because it's bad? It's like, no, not sort of. Yeah. So you're making fun of it? It's like, not really. You're not really making fun of, uh, like, camp, necessarily. It's not laughing at the movie. It's uh, laughing with the movie and getting lost in it. I think this is the best example of that. It's uh, basically this um, story of a woman who moves to Louisiana, and uh, she's taking over this hotel that she's inherited, and it's built over the gates of hell, and the rest of the plot of the movie doesn't really matter after that. There's zombies, there's flesh-eating tarantulas, there's uh, just any like crazy uh, Italian horror bullshit you could imagine. Uh, it's like the best cover box you've ever seen uh, in film form. So yeah, the beyond. Uh, and at 19, we're going right to 19. Yeah. Uh, I have yeah. Dog Day Afternoon, obviously, which apparently is pandering to have like <laughs> uh, one of the, the greatest movies of all time. Uh, I was trying to find something to say about Dog Day Afternoon that isn't immediately obvious and uh re-watching it um i love the way that it opens in uh this montage of chicago and uh it's letting your mind free associate with all these things there's like rain and umbrellas and then sunlight and some people are have umbrellas and some people the lights reflect that some people are getting burned some people are tanning uh and it subconsciously this uh like theme of inequality is being like sewed into the movie and also the identity of the city which is such an important part of the movie and the last shot of this montage is a security guard in front of a bank taking down an american flag and you think it's just part of the montage turns out the main characters of the movie and where the rest of the setting of this movie is like characters are sitting right in front of this uh this bank like scoping it out and the movie just starts it starts from it feels like it's part of just this montage showing a city and it's because these characters are a part of this city and uh yeah there's so many things to say about this movie so i'll go on to the good the bad the ugly at number 18 uh yeah this is just like i think the coolest movie of all time kind of just um if you could measure coolness uh i think it has the best ending of all time um, I've heard people before uh, even make the case that you don't get like music videos without uh, Sergio Leone. And um, uh, why am I uh, blanking on uh, <laughs> uh, Ennio Morricone? Ennio Morricone. Yeah, Ennio Morricone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so like, uh, yeah, and I, I buy it kind of. It is uh, this this stack of like incredibly captivating images and this sound design and it's all just like this perfect um it almost feels like an alien world that you've entered which is one of the best things a movie can do all right um i watched beyond this past week 
And Jay, I got to say, I think you set the record for most movies in your top 100 on Tubi. You set the, you set the <laughs> Tubi record, so make, a, make of that what you will. That's um, not a good sign. <laughs> this movie, um, there's a charm to movies that have no idea how things work or just don't yes. care. Um, there's a scene in this movie where uh, there's a, a guy's in a basement and he discovers like this rotting corpse and something comes out of the wall and like brutally kills him, like starts to like real gross, like tear him up. So they cut to like no explanation, just the next scene, the rotting corpse and the freshly killed guy are just sitting in the auto in the, you know, in the, in the morgue at the hospital. And for some reason, as part of the autopsy for this rotting corpse, they have it like hooked up to like some kind of like EKG brain brain monitor for no. I mean, the reason is so you can see when it comes back to life, you can see the the, the beep going. But they just set it up. They're like, oh, let's let's see what happens. They haven't set up this machine. And then like the other guy who just died, there's no explanation like how long he's been there. Like the characters who should care about this guy dying in their basement really don't seem affected. Uh, his wife comes in and just starts dressing him for his funeral. Like the, 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 the doctor's leave. She just starts dressing him for his funeral. I'm like, no, this isn't your job. That's not how this works. And then I start thinking, wait, this is a, cr- this, that's evidence. You're temper. This guy's murdered. Like there's no police, nothing. It just, and that's the kind of movie this is. It's just kind of ridiculous. It's got this real schlocky charm to it. It's not good, but I can see why you, you I can see why you enjoy it. It was, it was interesting to me. Yeah. The, the spiders, like there's a guy in a library and he just, there's a thunderclap and he falls off the ladder, like almost dies. And, <laughs> With no setup at all, these spiders come out and just devour them. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm in danger. It's uh it's definitely it's definitely a movie to it's definitely a movie to oh then, then the guy died, the guy who got killed his wife also gets killed they go to his funeral and his their their daughter's there and like the funeral ends and everybody just kind of walks away and leaves this kid completely alone <laughs> and no one says like hey like nothing it's 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 ridiculous it's it's, it's like I said. It it's, almost it, becomes nightmare logic, though, yeah. like accidentally. <laughs> yeah, it's it's nuts. Um, <laughs> and then uh, uh, Dog Day Afternoon, obviously, um, this is probably has probably moved its way up to my favorite movie. Um, every time I watch, I just love it more and more. I got to see it in the theater for the first time a couple months ago, and that was just like a whole new experience. Um, I don't know if Lumet is my favorite director, um, but he is my favorite director to study and just talk about and listen to him talk and listen to people talk about him and i think this is the one movie he was famous for um you know coming from theater uh you know really staging things out rehearsing and what he basically did is he came in and he and he took the script and he had everybody it was a very you know it was a group effort everybody came in and added their own things to it during the rehearsal process and then what what they added to those characters became part of the movie and um it just so felt like you watch even the side characters, like when the banks get robbed, like you could just watch one teller for the entire movie. And they're having like a very unique experience uh, through this whole bank robbery. And um, like I said, you li- literally, every time you watch a movie, pick a different character, just watch them. And you will have like, so, so a, so much fun watching them because that actor or actress is putting so much into that character and B just, like I said, so unique from what's going on everybody else. And then there's just scenes where, um, you know, I could talk about this forever because, like I said, it's, it's it's my favorite movie to just like absorb. And the the, the scenes where um, uh, uh, Moretti, the detective, and uh, Sunny are out on the street, and the way those two actors interacted, the way they weren't really sometimes they weren't told what them was going to say, so the confusion is real. 
And there's just so many great little things. This is one of my all-time favorite just exercises in filmmaking. I think there's mm-hmm. there's so much great little things in this. And like I said, I could watch this movie 10 times in a row, love it more every time, always find something new about it. Um, so yeah, obviously, Dog the Afternoon. Uh, good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I've seen this once. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I just love like the scope of it. I love that like spaghetti western uh, feel like this is like the best one of obviously but that feel where it's like almost <laughs> otherworldly like it's not it's supposedly set in the, the old west but like it's its own complete thing like again they don't ca- really care about the details and that has a real charm to it it's real cool just so those huge like those just the wide shots and all the characters and um yeah and how beautiful is young clint eastwood holy <laughs> crap i mean Scott Eastwood's pretty good looking, but he looks like absolutely trash next to his old man <laughs> and his prime. I'm watching this movie and I'm just like, oh my goodness, that man is beautiful. Jesus uh, Christ. <laughs> Kathy, put this on mute. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, that's a solid pick. Uh, everybody else will start with Scott on Jake's Bottom 3. The Beyond, I haven't seen, but it sounds amazing. Uh, I definitely want to check it out. I'm going to add it to my watch list. Uh Dog Day Afternoon, fantastic movie. Um, I mean, that goes without saying. I've only seen it one time. That's you know why it didn't make my list. But um, yeah, it's it's you know as great as everyone says. And then the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've also only seen one time, and it was when I was a lot younger. I like it a lot. I definitely think it's a top ten western. I definitely think it's probably the great iconic spaghetti western. Um, just haven't rewatched it enough. Again, the length I think plays a role in that. But it's a great movie. Uh, Spence, what do you got? Dog Day Afternoon is a perfect movie. It's fucking great. I got no problems with it. Good and the Bad Yaga can go fuck off. Probably we thought that it's just too long. Uh, movie doesn't need to be three hours when you're basically just sitting there, just like staring in the desert for twenty minutes. It's it's too. It's not enough is going on in the film. I I enjoy the second half more than the first. If the plot gets wrong, that first half is just a fucking slog. Deep cut studying that fucking sucked. You were picked it. I got beef with you. <laughs> All right, Andrew. I think we've gotten into the portion of the series where, unless I pick the movie, I have not seen it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! All right, uh, time for the meat of the order. Uh, we'll go back to Scott. Scott, give us your number seventeen. All right, Coho, get the I'm in danger clip ready. Uh, it is Mulholland Drive. <laughs> I'm in danger. David Lynch's fever dream of a movie. Um, uh, the movie feels closer to a dream than I think like any movie has been able to capture because it has like this, like, it is just slightly off center from reality. It's not like bizarre like studio ghibli all these you know weird creatures and all this fantastical phantasmagorical stuff it is there's just things that aren't quite right like there's people acting in ways that they shouldn't have um like the old people the old couple in the back of the the uh, taxi at the start of the movie at the airport are just smiling like a little bit too big and it's just unsettling like it is just like the way that it keeps happening over the course of the movie, it just like, it keeps making you feel more unsettled. Like something about that image when Rita wakes up in the middle of the night and is just laying there with her eyes wide open in bed going silencio. 
is one of the most terrifying images in a movie to me. And I can't explain why it is, but David Lynch just does such an amazing job of like creating this world. I just th find the mystery of the movie um, it, just to be so mesmerizing. Like I just want to know what happens next, um, even when I kind of know what happens next, because the mystery is almost unsolvable in its own way. But I, th I think there's an explanation that makes sense, but I, I think it's purposefully ambiguous. Um, and David Lynch has said as much himself. Naomi Watts is giving an insane performance in this movie. Um, like the two personas that um, she is putting on, um, the like exaggerated, like wide-eyed, I'm coming to Hollywood with, you know, my dreams of becoming an actress contrasted with, um, you know, the real Diane who we see in the second half of the movie. Um, and then that scene where she goes to the audition and is acting opposite that man is some of the most amazing acting that I've seen in a movie. Um, and yeah, it's thematically rich. I think the, the theme that sticks out to me is just like, it's a movie about the way that Hollywood uses up actresses um, once they reach a certain age. Um, you know, the industry just kind of puts them aside once they are no longer the director's mute uh, mistress or whatever i mean you know have, you have all that going on with justin thoreau um they're cast aside i think it's just a really smart um exploration of that idea in the film industry also weirdly funny in the way that a lot of lynch's stuff often is like a billy ray cyrus just punching out justin thoreau with these like cartoonish sound effects will always make me make me cackle um mulholland drive is like i said it's it's a fever dream it's one of the you know most mysterious, unsettling, but very rewatchable movies um, of, of all time. And I love it. <sighs> there are David Lynch <laughs> movies that I like. This is not one of them. Uh, I just, this just reminds me of like that, like film school BS where it's like, Let's throw as much dumb crap on the screen as possible. And the dumber we throw on there, the smarter everybody think we're. Because no one would just throw this dumb crap on the screen for no reason. Um, it's on a record that this movie was a failed David Lynch TV pilot that he just edited into a movie, basically. Yeah. And which means he had no idea what he was doing. Like, there's no point. It was like, oh, season four, we'll figure it out. So just a bunch of random crap. And if you have an idea of what it means, I think you're projecting that on. There's a reason David Lynch won't talk about what it means because David Lynch doesn't know what it means. Um, this movie is definitely not for me. Um, too long, too dumb. Everybody else on Mulholland Drive. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's. Uh, I, I think it's really good. I didn't like it at, at first, actually. <laughs> Uh, but it's really, I felt the same way about him turning a pilot into a movie. Uh, but then I, I, I uh, later on, I think uh, I discovered Lost Highway in the past few years. And it's like, oh, that is a very similar structure to this movie. And it actually predates this movie. So uh, it is kind of interesting how it's um, almost like, it's almost like he used the Lost Highway formula to just, uh, you know, you know, it's interesting to see like the skeleton of how he might work. Um, yeah. I saw 
the first 20 minutes when I was 15, I said, this is gross and boring. And I'm never going to like David Lynch. You know what? I stand by it. I might like his Dune, though. But Lynch is a director. I probably yeah. fucking hate every least touch. If you don't like looking at sad, you're not going to like David Lynch's Dune. <laughs> okay, but like, David Bowie's in it. No, wait. Is he? Yeah, he plays no, a big blonde Sting. dude. Sting. Oh, Sting. Yeah, Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Rue, you David see this Bowie, one? but like, diet. Keep the trend going. Right. Yeah, if Rue had not seen it. Not at all. All right, Scott, number 16. Flyer than a cutlass supreme, Southeast Texas Cherokees were the team. Everybody wants some. Oh, man. I know I'm still in danger, but this is just the most fun probably that I ever have watching a movie is whenever I watch Everybody Wants Some. Um, this movie I found in, in college. I mean, found. I mean, it came out when I was in college. And um, my friends in college generally thought my movie taste was just too weird and off kilter and we couldn't like ever really watch movies together um this was the exception uh, i was like guys sit down watch this movie i promise you you're gonna love it and it became like a movie that we you know would walk around we quote to each other we like watched it so many times and would like try to figure out who each person was like who each of us was like which character we were um it is just uh, a, a joy to watch. It is a, a great hangout movie. Um, I know Kirk's going to say that they're all douchebags, but I think the the joy of the movie is that he is able to humanize these jocks um, who, yeah, I mean, let, let's let's be honest here. None of uh, all of us got picked on by the jocks probably in school, um, but like that. So, so I, I mean, if, if anything is going to prejudice me against the movie, it would be that. But I, I'm not because uh, because I think Linklater is able to find the heart and just the, the joy of like their camaraderie together. And it's infectious. It's extremely funny. Um, all the different characters and their different personalities. Uh, Glenn Powell, definitely the standout of the movie as Finn. Um, he is like the the. If if Wooderson, if Matthew McConaughey's character from Days and Confused was actually like someone you wanted to be, uh, then it would be Finn from Everybody Wants Some. It would be Glenn Powell's character. But everyone gets their little moments. The baseball practice scene when you finally get to see them play baseball um, is so funny. I love the Jay Niles, the crazy pitcher who just throws the ball out of the stadium um, and is just like freaking out and challenging the bartender to fights and. Um, Again, it's just a great friendship movie. There's also a like sweet romantic subplot between Blake Jenner and Zoe Deutsch's characters, which um, I think is, you know, again, shows Linklater's skill as he showed in the before trilogy with like writing male-female relationships as well in the third act of the movie. Um, it, yeah, it, it's just one of the most, again, one of the most rewatchable movies, uh, something that I will just always throw on with a friend if they've never seen it. Um, and yeah, I... If it, I would go on a quote uh, battle with with Michael right here right now, but nobody wants to hear that. All right, I want to give you a lot of credit for putting this higher than Days and Confused because it <laughs> is a better movie than Days and Confused. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll concede that. Um, this one does have, I think, better, more relatable characters. I think it has some funny moments. Um, yeah, that, that baseball practice scene is great that i forget the pitcher's name but the one who's like you said is always like freaking out and just real high strong Miles, yeah. yeah he's he's really funny um i do think they're all douchebags and but i think they're more like 
likable and relatable douchebags in this one. Um, I do think it just hits too many of those like college movie cliches, like one after another. Feels like a beer commercial at times. Um, and dear lord, that mid credit scene. I have never felt more Glorious. secondhand embarrassment or shame for anybody that I do. Like right now, I'm like holding back a dry heave just thinking about that mid credit scene. It is so embarrassing. It's so awful. Um, that that just, I, I couldn't believe when I was watching when I saw it. That really took the movie down. Not even like, you know, like this is bad. Just I feel bad for everybody. Refresh involved. my memory. They, it's, they it's all, a wrap. They I quoted all, it at the start. Man. They're uh, all rapping, and it's just it's it's rough. It's hard to watch. Uh, everybody else on. Uh, everybody wants something. Let's keep it moving. Keep it moving, y'all. Let's go. <laughs> oh yeah, you said uh, we. Uh, yeah, I uh, did. I did play hockey and lacrosse most of my life, but I also have my you know dorky ass friends. So it's funny that you say like, oh, we all got bullied by the jocks because this movie. I feel like. The fact that he has a friend that's like a punk and like I don't know uses yeah. drugs and shit. I'm like, totally. ah, yeah, like the, these worlds are never really represented as actually having very blurred lines uh, between. And I, that's the one thing that I love so much about Linklater. Uh, yeah, I think it's very funny that it's interesting the types of people that he chooses to make movies about. But then you could say the same thing about Noah Baumbach making all his movies about like rich New Yorkers and shit. So like, I don't know. I don't really get the the complaint that like he's covering a specific type of uh, person. I don't know. What do you say? What do you want to say? I was going to say, and that's what's so great about Finn is that he's just like down for everything, right? He's like, sure, let's go to the punk show. Let's just do whatever, you yeah. know? He's like, yeah. I, I just want to have fun. Exactly. Spencer, got a take on this one? I really don't like this film. Uh, here's the thing. I think it's very watchable. You put it on the background. It's like, yeah, it's fine. When I sit down and focus on it, I have to pay attention to it. I hate every fucking character. I hate every situation going on. They are douchebags. I don't want to watch them. There's one good scene in this fucking movie. That's when they, when they go to the concert and play his fucking Gilligan's Island theme. That is it. That's the only thing I fucking like in this entire film. Because you know why? Because they're shitty dudes. Also, legit in real life, sort of an asshole. So I don't like watching, I don't like seeing him act. So everything about this does not work for me. Uh, we've talked about this multiple times. I will probably never like it. All right, Scott, number 15. Let's try again with another Linklater movie. How about Boyhood? Yeah, one of those, like, life-changing movies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, something that people would describe, of course, as a gimmick, right? Oh, we're going to film this kid over 12 years. That's all it is. It's a gimmick. Um, no. Uh, this this movie is a tribute to. I say it's a life changing movie because like it makes you look at life, or at least, at least it made me look at life in a different way than I had looked at it, which is an appreciation for those these mundane moments. I talked about it a little bit with Yee, but this is another one of those like the things in life that stick with you and that make you the person that you are are the moments that you don't think that much of when they are happening but that maybe over the years you look back on and be like oh this small moment for some reason i remember it better than this big milestone and you don't see anyone 
Uh, you don't see any of the big milestones really in this movie. You don't see Mason graduate. You don't see like his first kiss. You don't see all these tropes that you expect to see in a coming of age movie. Because the whole point is, no, we're going to show you these incidents that all end up contributing to the person that Mason becomes from the start of the movie to the end. Um, and uh, I just think that's a it's a wonderful and very and unique and very true way to look at life and growing up. Um, and Eller Coltrane, if you want to criticize his acting, go right ahead. That's not the point, right? Like the point is we wanted to, to have a real kid um, over the course of these 12 years. And he's a real kid. He's very believable as a real kid, even down to him being a kind of annoying emo teenager towards the end of the movie. Uh, that's again, it's just it's real. Um Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette are so perfect as the parents. Patricia Arquette's monologue at the end will always make me cry when she's like basically talking about how he's leaving for college. And she's like, this is it. Like my kids are off to college. The next thing that's going to happen for me is I'm going to die. Right. Like there's nothing left in life for me. And it's just it's sad. Um, and like I said, it always gets to me. Ethan Hawke is like, I just love watching his character hark over the course of the movie, how he goes from like, oh, he rolls in at the beginning. You think he's going to be like this deadbeat dad. And then he mellows out. He marries like this Christian woman. Um, and he just becomes, he becomes a good dad by the end of the movie. And, you know, he Linklater, you know, doesn't look upon anyone with judgment. Like even the scene where they go to his new wife's parents' house and they they're like the old hillbillies in the woods who they give him like a gun and a Bible for his birthday in any other movie. Like that would be for sheer mockery, like, oh, look at these old, you know, out of touch hillbillies. But it's like such a nice moment in this movie because Linklater makes you show appreciate like hey, this is something that means a lot to these people and they are now giving it to this kid. And like, it's a genuine, like nice moment. Uh, whereas again, in another movie, it would be used um, to, to mock these characters. Um, yeah, I could go on and on. It's, it's, yeah, it's so good. It's so good. It's the best coming of age movie um, I think ever made because it, it gets coming of age, the process of coming of age better than any other movie that I've seen. Uh, is this movie bad? No, I don't hate it. I don't think there's anything necessarily bad about it, but I am in the camp that if, uh, you know, if they had cast, you know, either just different actors play the same character or age the kid up or whatever, um, and they, you know, filmed this in nine weeks, we wouldn't be talking about it because it would just be white noise against a bunch of movies just like it. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with anything you said about it, but I don't think it's doing anything. Like I said, a lot of other movies don't do It's just, Hey, look, we had this kid that grew up in this movie. And I think there is a very gimmicky thing about that. When you're acting in a movie, Scott acting is kind of the point. Um, I do have to disagree with you there. Um, but like I said, I know people who, I know, I know that, there are people who hate just the fact that it's a gimmick and they feel like that's all there is. Like I said, I don't think it's terrible. I just don't think the movie does enough beyond that to get the, anything close to the amount of recognition that it does. Uh, everybody else on boyhood. Yeah. Uh, okay, go ahead. As uh, someone whose uh, mother like, played chill crows, soak up the sun uh, to drown out <laughs> our screaming in the backseat. 
Uh, Amaru, I'm guessing unless you have a white mother, you you don't share this experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's a, a link later. Link. I have a few problems with this movie though. Uh, that um, I don't really I don't like the way it uses songs to connotate connotate years exactly. Like I don't oh, like I the. I don't like how structured that is. I feel like it would be better if the movie was a little bit more free flow. And also, I uh, don't like Mason when he gets older. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, not I don't either. Likeable. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> He's just not, that kid doesn't have it. He can't hold a close up. <laughs> Rue, you haven't seen Most this one? Kids can't. And Spence had a reaction. So. Is this the best coming of age movie of all time? Absolutely fucking not. But it's top five length later for me. I really like this film. Uh, I've been meaning to revisit it because I haven't seen it since theaters, but I really love what it did. I think I think it got the idea of a slice of life film, like, like a plotless film, really well. It, it doesn't hit anything too long. I think it captures like a chapter in his life. It's like a book. And I think it handles it really well. Just like, here's an evolving story of not just like, here's a goal, here's a journey. But here's literally just someone's life and we're growing with them. I, and I love seeing who Mason's becomes. The actor, isn't that great in the end? But I think, and for me, that's the only real flaw of the movie. I think as it goes on, I do really love everything presented. I think like on a rewatch, it's probably gonna be a little bit boring. But like, as like in my mind, just I saw it like a really nice theater. I'm just like, this, this is a good memory. And I'm gonna hold on to that. All right. Uh, Scott, what is your number 14? Uh, how many more plotless movies can I have, Michael? At least one more. Uh, the Florida Project. Uh, the Florida Project is like why I watch movies. Uh, because it opens up a world that I would never have known existed because it is not represented in media, um, really. And it makes you care about these people so much. I mean, it's what Sean Baker is now like better than anyone at doing with Tangerine, which we already talked about with the Florida project with red rocket, which is a much more complicated movie, uh, but is equally brilliant. That is going to be coming out soon, but uh, please watch it when it comes out. It's fantastic. But um, the Florida project, um, you know, is about these people living on the margins of America. And again, all of these movies are like, he finds like these little corners of America, again, that you don't see represented. And here it's these people who are living in a motel in the edge of Disney World. Um, he frames it through the eyes of a child, which I think makes you see the big emotions in so much clearer fashion. Um, there's a line I love where there's a couple that pulls up to the motel. They were supposed to go to... Um, to Disney World, they thought that, um, uh, or they thought that they were staying at a Disney resort, basically, and they end up at the Magic Castle. Um, and obviously, it's not the same thing. They're yelling at each other or whatever. And Mooney says, um, "I can always tell when adults are about to cry." And it's just like a simple line, but it mm -hmm. just pa it, so much in that one line um, about the pain that this child has had to witness. Um, you know, in her young life, but also there are so many moments of joy, right? She has to find these small moments of joy and like, go get They go get ice cream cones. They watch the fireworks. Like there's these little things that, um, you know, they're still able to find joy despite, um, their lives being in this dire state really. And that's the great thing about Sean Baker as well as he never tells you how to feel about anything. He's just like, we're just going to show these people living how they live. And, 
form your opinions on your own. I'm not going to tell you to judge them or to not judge them. Uh, but just in depicting these people, just in the very act of depicting them, again, I think he's doing something very vital and important because they aren't depicted. Um, and I think that uh, obviously Willem Dafoe is so so warm in this movie, something he's not often um, as Bobby, the the motel manager. I think Bria Venate, who plays the mother, it really uh, is a knockout performance in this. She was an Instagram model who Sean Baker just like slid into her DMs and was like, hey, you want to be in this movie? And um, she said yes. And she's such a real person. Everyone in this movie is, seems like such a real person. Um, it's yeah, it just makes you feel all the things, makes you feel alive. Um, I absolutely love this movie. Sean Baker is one of the absolute best working right now. Please see Red Rocket when it comes out. Please see the Florida Project if you haven't seen it. And Cameron, it's favorites, not best. Boyhood is the best. This one I like this much more. Yeah, I really like this movie. Uh, I think I just love like the exploration of this community and just seeing how they live and how they exist, and just the fact that it's like set outside, like out, like right on the border of Disney World, which is like this, like famous for being like this dream factory and like this this destination everybody wants to go to and these people are so close to it but like their lives are so far away from anything that represents i just love the dichotomy there and yeah the little girls so the, 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 all the actors again i you know i'm kind of going back away i said talking about acting is important um but i think there's a lot of reality in the fact that they got you know some non-actors here um they bring that realness to it and yeah, Willem Dafoe is great. I just love his character and how he interacts. And again, how he kind of lets this world happen, even though he's not supposed to. Um, just a lot of really cool things there. Yeah, it's, it's it's sad and it's exciting and it's, you know, it's funny. And it's just, it, it, you, you said seeing it through the kid's eyes. Like you just have moments of like those little moments of joy where like their things are so miserable, but like when they go to the ice cream, like that's enough, you know what I mean? Things like that. Mm -hmm. um, or when they go to that house and explore and set the fires and everything. Um, no, I really like this one. Solid pick. Everybody else on Florida project. Great pick. Not the best Sean Baker movie, but a damn good one. And I'm a top 10, a 24. Good pick. I like Willem Dafoe, but I haven't seen this movie either. Good movie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's funny because Sean Baker is kind of the opposite of Richard Linklater in a way because he's making movies about people that are kind of nothing like him, which and he's pulling it off too. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's interesting that you put those next to each other. But uh, I think the thing that's so heartbreaking about this movie is that you know that uh, Mooney will uh, be better off with a different caretaker, much better off, but you know also that no one will ever love her as much as exactly. her, her exactly. mother loves yeah. her. That's what's so hard about this movie. Very true. All right. Uh, we're going to move on to Adelaide and your number 17. My 17. Barely a movie. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, yikes. Wow. It's uh, no secret. I'll happily take the L on this because I'm really thinking this for it like being the movie. I'm thinking it for just being, thanks Scott, I'm thinking it for being the culture and sort of just everything around the film. And as always, bringing my queer identity into this, it's like this, this is the film that sort of meant a lot, meant a lot to me, sort of just like coming out and sort of figuring out who I was and just going here and being able to like fully embrace the weird and, and, and the extraness, if you were, of just being a queer individual. 
So getting getting able to experience it was a lot of fun. And I do still love the film on its own. I think it's very watchable. It's very fun. And it gives me those memories of get, of going to uh, stage productions or or shadow cast screenings. And it is it's just it's great. I understand the movie's not perfect, and I'm not going to defend it as such. But I think that this is such like an incredible movement and special thing for me. I had to have it represented somewhere on this list. Um, I watched this alone for trivia, and like I said, my little box review. I hear it's better when people are throwing things at you and distracting you from the actual movie. Um, it's like I never wanted to watch this. I was never interested. I only watch it for trivia. I liked it better than I thought I would. Uh, Tim Curry's really great in it, uh, and you know it's it's fun, you know. But I I definitely don't love it, and I've. I've never done like the whole experience. Um, I hear it's great. Kathy has. Um, maybe someday I will. Would that be weird to see me there? Uh, but um, just as a movie, eh, everybody else on Rocky Horror. What's the over under on how many movies somebody else picks before I've actually seen one? <laughs> Drink. Um <laughs> I, this movie is good for what it is, right? It's a camp classic. It, um, it yeah, it's it's a midnight movie sensation. Um, there there are other movies that have come out since then that I wish would become midnight movie sensations as much as this one um, has. But uh, the songs are are pretty fun. Um, everyone's really giving it one hundred and ten percent. So I get I, I definitely get it, um, even if it's not one of my favorites. Uh, yeah, I uh, forgot watching this again. I forgot how uh, still transgressive the movie is and how it holds up as a transgressive thing. Uh, I love how it's still pushing some boundaries in a way. I love that people clung on to it. And I love so much about this movie. Uh, I think the reason that it's probably the thing that holds it back for me a little bit is just kind of the story. I'm not like, you know... But like the as far as vibes go, A plus. Like, put this on anytime. Vibes. All right, uh, Spence. Let's get you a number sixteen. My sixteen is the only sports film I believe on my list, and the best sports movie ever, Warrior. It was on Reese's list, though. Yeah. Go. <laughs> Uh, I think, okay, weird take. Uh, Me not liking sports films is, is, I think, a big part of this. But I think it's really great to find a movie that is just a movie that makes men cry. Because I think people send it, I think men sort of like find themselves distant from films, at least just like stereotypically. And this is a film that like a lot of men I've met who've watched are just like, dude, I fucking cry at the end every time it hits me deep. And like, I, I like that there's this bonding experience of this film and the genre and everything around it that I am so disconnected from. There was a way to make, like, Gavin O'Connor just made, like, made a film where I could just intimately connect myself with everyone involved in it. Even Nick Nolte, who I'm not like a totally like into as like an actor or even even the character in the film, just like I can totally empathize with what he's going through. The Moby Dick scene is one of the best, uh, one of my favorites of the decade. And I think that this is an incredible accomplishment of taking a sport I don't really care about uh, 
a story which is pretty generic on its own without anything even even direction which can be sort of cult, like which sort of like unoriginal even in its uh, other than the fighting scenes but it all comes together to form this just perfect amazing wonderful film that i could watch over and over and i and i and i, I find myself just coming back for those incredible fight scenes and 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 the bond between edgerton and hardy their back and forth is fantastic um this movie is so good. Um, it took me a long time to watch it, so I always wondered why Nick Nolte got nominated for it, and then I saw the film. Uh, to me, this is the epitome of performances making a movie amazing, because Spence said it. It actually is a lot of the cliche things you'll see in the sports film. Joel Edgerton is the epitome of an everyday man. I always confuse him and, um, and, and Sam Worthington and uh, the other guy from uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, um, Patton whatever his name is, they all look the same to me. And he plays the everyman. He plays the everyman perfectly. He's like the everyman, a teacher who's just trying to, to, to make more money. Tom Hardy is the essential quiet badass that's just going to whoop your ass and walk away. And then Nick Nolte, I, like I said, I finally saw the, the, the movie and his performance. I actually tell, actually, I'm the exact opposite of Adelaide. The Moby Dick scene is probably my least favorite scene from him in the film. It's everything else. It's the fact that he's trying so hard to suggest, uh, to trying so hard to, a bit racist, I'm sorry, just a little bit, but at least I got to tell all the, the, the same ethnicity. Um, but he's trying so hard to get back in their life after knowing he screwed up and just the sadness and empathy you feel for him is, is deep. Uh, and the ability for those fight scenes to be so visceral, um, because of Tom Hardy's uh, visceral acting and and um, Joel Edgerton just being like the guy you want to root for who shouldn't be there, um, and and they did they they gave Kurt Angle the perfect role. Don't say anything and fight, and it worked. And uh, also made him Russian or Ukrainian or something. I don't know. The that that that's a feat in itself. I I think this movie is amazing, um, and it's just. It's it's the 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 ultimate. I want to root for everybody in this film, but everybody is fucked up in one way or another. Yeah, what I like about this movie is it's a it's a very realistic family dynamic. Like you could see you could see walking into this family's living room and hearing these conversations. Uh, it's very real. It's very visceral. Uh, yeah, Nolte's great as the dad, and you see there's so many just little things, little moments in there where you see how they became the people they became and the relationship, how their relationships became what the lack of relationship became. Um, the fight scenes are great. I have a little trouble like suspending my disbelief with George's character, just how he goes from like school teacher to like, just like the greatest MMA fighter in the world, like overnight. Um, that always kind of drags down for me, but you I don't know us school teachers, man. We got, <laughs> we got secrets. I could, I could overlook that. Mm -hmm. Um, you get points because it's partially a Pittsburgh movie, but you also lose points because it's partially a Philly movie. Uh, so, uh, Scott and Jake, what are your take on Warrior? I still haven't seen it because I don't really care about this sport, uh, but a lot of people don't and like this movie, so I need to check it out. I know. Yeah, I put it in the same category as Moneyball for that, where it's like, oh, I don't care about, like, I don't care about... Yeah. Yeah, like baseball and the finances of baseball. But it's also like even like tonally, it's like 
a similar like crowd pleaser weirdly i find it's weird that it kind of bombed and like i think it's because they misadvertised it actually because i remember a trailer that kind of spoils the ending of the movie like it gives you way too much like it shows the brothers are, are gonna fight at the end and it just like it totally like took it out of me where i was just like oh night thanks thanks for ruining the movie trailer so yeah all right spitz uh give us your 15. I can like classics, right? Some like it hot. How could I not like this? As Tony Curtis, uh, Clueless confirms the best, the the most attractive man on the planet. Uh, this is just a really great, great time. I think the fact that a movie has aged this well, its identity politics have aged this well, is fascinating. And beyond that, it has it has honestly some of the some of the best comedic performances ever with Curtis and Jack Lemmon. Uh, as I frantically look for who plays uh, the old dude who tries to fuck Jack Lemmon a lot in the film, as well as Marilyn Monroe, who I think generally people don't love her as an actress, and I can sort of see why. I think her role, Sugar Cane, is fantastic and probably captures her range as an actress. Uh, Joey Brown. Joey Brown, you fucking rock. You're probably dead, but good on you for being in this movie. Uh, <laughs> she has made, Actually, this is also my hit movie for the week because it had a Manhattan which they make in the train car. Again, shitty hints. Uh, I thought you picked Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen like two Woody Allen films and neither of them were before 2010. Uh, I I just love this so much. And this is to, to me, this is a movie that works. I'm, if I'm meeting someone new, I'm like, oh, hey, you watch an older film? Watch this. It shouldn't age well, but it does. It should be funny, but it is. Plus there's like a crime element. And I think the whole, the whole bit where uh, Columbo's henchman pops out the cake and just fucking assassinates someone. It's just like a holy shit moment. And it actually adds some weight to the film, otherwise it'd be pretty flighty, but even then it's not in a bad way. Uh, this is always my favorite Wilder. It's it's a perfect movie. Yeah, I always say this about Wilder. His movies are, feel so modern. The fact that he's making the movies he's making back in the 40s and 50s is kind of ridiculous uh, just because uh, so many of the ideas and the theme just carry over. I mean, they could be in a movie, you know, 10 years ago, even now, some of them. Um, but yeah, uh, Jack Lemon is great in this, and I just love his character. How he goes from just being completely against this and hating the idea to just at the end really leaning into it. Um, and uh, Tony Curtis great, basically plays three different characters. Uh, it's just, uh, it's a lot of fun. And Marilyn Monroe, uh, I know Wilder talked about how much he hated working with her, um, but he got a really good performance out of her. I think she's legitimately funny in this movie. Um, she has some like really great deadpan one liners. Um, that I that I that I always have fun with. Uh, so yeah, this is all I picked. Not my top Wilder. Um, there are other movies like his comedies don't hit as hard for me as uh, some of his other movies. Um, but I definitely respect the pick. Everybody else on some like it hot. Uh, here's like my like my my uh, like dumbest take. Like just the dumbest thing. Like okay, <laughs> so like it hot for some reason is a movie that I'm just like. Oh, I wish this was in color. <laughs> it's like the one movie where I'm like, this one should be in color. I'd like Hey, this Todd? What the fuck? It really yeah, holds up. But just, <laughs> but just for being like a light comedy, it should be pretty and and lighter. And But yeah, it's still obviously a amazingly well-performed and, uh, you know, well-written movie. So come does these exist before 1930. Got it. I here's the thing. Again, I get it. I totally get it. I don't find the movie that funny. 
Um, and I, it's just, it's not that I don't find classic comedies funny. There's plenty I do. I've had some on my list. Um, but I don't know. It just, it, it hasn't gotten there. I mean, it's a solid three and a half, four star movie for me, but like, just because it's enjoyable to watch, but like, I don't get like, oh, it's one of the funniest movies ever. It, it just has never been that for me. I've listened to the Some Like It Scott podcast. <laughs> hey. Rue, you've also watched Some Like It Hoth, oh, so you're, you're getting I, there. I, I get it. Yet. I get it. It, it took you until now, mm. Kirk. <laughs> I was today years old. Um, Our branding right. needs, needs some work. Uh, Spence, <laughs> Spence uh, the thing is you're 14. Speaking of men crying, a monster calls. <laughs> This is the film that honestly crept up on me as I was making my top 100. It's like, oh, I like this. I like uh, Holy shit. And it kept rising. And I think a lot of that sort of come, And this is a big part of, like, my thoughts in the film. Uh, I was dating someone who uh, I brought, like, a handful of books to college. So don't fucking read Rings for Nerds. And I gave this to them. I was like, yo, you should read this. And Or I didn't say they should read it. But, like, they said they wanted a book and they took it from me. And then she, she texts me. And I was just like, hey. Thank you for letting me read this because I had, I was so scared of death that it like, it sort of being a, a present presence in my life caused me to stop making decisions and stop uh, Michael <laughs> and, and stop sort of taking risks that I needed to because I knew death was inevitable. And this helped them come to terms with the fact that she could die eventually. And to me, that's sort of like the magic of the film is like it's this great entryway into just teaching children about that, like, even though it's an R-rated movie. And even though there's a lot of fucked up shit going on, I could show it to like a 10 or 11 year old and just be like, hey, it's going to be harder to sit through. But this is what the end of your life could mean. And the way that Liam Neeson sort of just talks, talks the kid through the stories and everyone not really having like that perfect meaning to help him sort of come to terms with it. Like not only does mom die it's not his fault and he could understand the fact that he he wants her to die to an extent because it's so hard living with the pain of seeing her so sad it's heavy but it's just a film that comforts me just talking about life in such a mature and thoughtful way it makes me introspective about my own life and this is just incredible all the way through jay abiona made one of the most poetic stories or potentially one of the most poetic, poetic stories i've ever read Okay, I watched this one this week again. What I had heard about and was interested in, never got around to. Um, watch it this week. It's solid. Um, haven't seen BFG. I'm guessing it's better than BFG. Oh, um, fuck you. <laughs> but uh, no, I liked it. Like I said, like I, I think what's good about this is it is heavy, but the way it uses the storytelling to like ease you through the story, and I think that's the point is that you don't feel like the full weight of it, you know, until the end. I mean, the ending, it, it gets, gets pretty tough. Um, but like it, it builds up to that very well. Movie's very well paced. Um, I like the creature design. Um, I like the animated sequences. I think there's a lot of really cool looks to this movie. Um, Sigourney Weaver's accent is odd. Um, casting her as, as the British grandma was, is, was not what I was expecting her role to be. Um, but yeah, again, I think it's just one of those movies that really captures like the mundane part of childhood and the fanciful part. It kind of blends them together really well. Um, 
everybody else on Monster Calls. We're halfway through and I've yet to see one. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, you saw Warrior. It's on my list. It doesn't count. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the way you talked about it, I sounds like I have to see it, but I didn't know it was rated R. Are you sure about that? I, I looked it up and it said PG-13. Yeah, it is okay. PG-13. I can't see it on, on Letterboxd. Is it already cut? It. That'd be interesting. <laughs> this you get to see the monsters uh, boom. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I haven't seen it either. Sorry. All right. We're going to bounce over to Amaru then for your number 17. My number 17 is the best Wizarding World film. My favorite Harry Potter film, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Correct. Fuck you, Spence. <laughs> this movie is fucking amazing. Like, this movie took the franchise from, from a children's children's franchise to legit movies with a legit director and legit acting. David Thewlis and Gary Oldman are immaculate in this film. Um, uh, his role as Sirius Black as uh, someone you need to find menacing at, at just off of a poster, of a moving poster, and then switch over to you actually believe in his despair and his anger and his hope and his playfulness Placeness after you find out who he actually is. Um, the direction Quaron uh, took with this allowed the uh, main three to grow as actual young adult actors. The pacing is great. It's able to take um, two different storylines uh, with um, with Buckbeak and Sirius and weave it into the overarching storyline of Voldemort without having Voldemort in there. And it's it just, it is so great. It is a change in the music and John Williams still kills it in terms of the score. Um, and it is, it is just so suspenseful and so fun and so well acted. It probably has some of the greatest performances in the entirety of the franchise. Um, I adore this movie to death. And I also think it is the most, not only the best, not only my favorite, but also the most rewatchable. Like I, it comes on and I'm just like, yep, I'm, I'm watching it. Like I watched it new. Um, this movie is hits, hits what a, a fantasy franchise, a uh, fantasy young adult franchise should be. It's perfect. Yeah, I absolutely agree. This is the best Harry Potter movie. Um, I think Cron took the, you know, what exists already and he made Hogwarts. He made this world real. Uh, I, have feelings about the Columbus movies, but my biggest complaint about those is I always feel like I'm watching a movie set in those movies. Like everything, like just looks like it would be styrofoam. Like I don't, there's it just there's no weight to anything in those movies. This movie just feels so grounded, so real. Um, this is the best Quidditch scene in any Harry Potter movie. Uh, it just elevates that. You know what what they had done previously. What comes after is nothing compared to what ha what they do with it in this one. Um, Gary Oldman is just completely on a whole other level than everybody else in these movies. He is so fantastic, so great in that. Um, I like Lupin as a character. Um, I like his introduction, Death Eaters. Um, yeah, this is the best. I think it sets up perfectly, like you said. Uh, what's to come like before he's like hey these little you know kids have these magic adventures uh this one like the story really starts to gear up uh so totally agree with you on that everybody else on prisoner of Azkaban. best wizarding world movie 100 um and i think this movie is like the benchmark of like 
the trend now of like, oh, we're going to give an auteur a movie in a big blockbuster franchise, right? Like Chloe, they just gave Chloe Zhao the Eternals. Um, and this is like the benchmark of like, okay, this is where they actually let this person make the movie they wanted. And it turned out amazing. Chloe Zhao, the Eternals, the less said about that, the better. But um, th- this this movie is is why I will always, if like, like when I hear Barry Jenkins is directing The Lion King 2, I will be like, huh, maybe. Uh, although I don't know. I don't know that I trust Disney enough. But this movie is fantastic. Um, the time travel stuff is super cool. That when he summons his Patronus, like that's one of the best moments in the uh, all the Wizarding World movies when he summons the Patronus at the end to protect him and Sirius. Uh, it's so good. Um, yeah, the character moments. Yeah, it, it, it's just great. It, 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 is re- it really is one of the best fandom films, uh, in my opinion, and uh, definitely the best in the Wizarding World and shows you what a master filmmaker can do. This is, you know, maybe it's the best. Not my favorite, though. Uh, although I don't love the franchise, so eh. I'll, I'll never slight you for having one of these on, on the list because, like, I know that I'm just the one who doesn't understand the love. What's your favorite the whole series? Goblet of Fire. I like watching teenagers almost get killed, and I think the whole thing is actually fantastic. Uh, but good pick. It's not great pick. Yeah, I think this is where the the series uh, starts to hit puberty, like like you know, uh, in a good way. Uh, Half Blood Prince is uh, my personal favorite, but this is like it. Depending on the day, it switches. Uh, this one, the it just gets a little too plotty for me. Is the only issue, and I'm also more into the adults uh, in the, in the franchise. So the Dumbledore and Snape stuff appeals to me in Half Blood Prince. Not to. All right, uh, Amru, you're number 16. We're back. Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Um, people complain that all this movie is is watching a bunch of people walk. And this movie makes that entertaining as fuck. Um, I, this is, again, The Return of the King is the, is the epic finale. This is one of the greatest setup movies in the greatest trilogy of all time. Um, the the coming together of fuck no the, <laughs> the 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 coming together of the fellowship as they as they as he goes as, as frodo um goes through and uh pick sam comes through meets his cousins they go through they meet aragorn at weathertop uh the the change from the book of introducing arwen as more of a badass than a damsel in distress i like that change um if you want him come and claim him was such a fucking great moment and then the 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 special effects of the of the of the river turning into horses um and trampling away the the nazgul is amazing to then the etherealness of um of uh rivendell um hugo weaving as elrond i i don't know if there's an actor aside from ian mckellen who has the most badass characters in movie history uh, because elrond is dope um and then I said it, uh, Pelennor Fields might be second or third best action sequence. Um, I think the entire Moria sequence from when they walk it from the Watcher in the Water to the fight with the cave troll to the running from Balrog till you shall not pass and fly, you fools, just as a together as a full just action set piece is um, just so damn good. The special effects 
considering they're 20 years old, are immaculate. Howard Shore's score fits perfectly with everything. Um, and 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 Boromir's um, Boromir's uh, redemption at the end is is it, it it brings tears to my eyes every time. Uh, it really does. Uh, I fellow this again trilogy is amazing, and I think Fellowship is so good in being able to set up all the characters to make you love them and make what seemingly should be a boring time extremely exciting and extremely entertaining. Okay, this is the second Lord of the Rings movie we're talking about tonight, so I'll just give my whole take, even though we might talk about another one at some other point. I don't know. Uh, my take, my thing with my relationship with Lord of the Rings, uh, I own all the movies. Uh, if you have it on, if I come over your house, you have it on. I'll sit down, watch out, enjoy it. You know, if it's on TV, I'll throw them in everyone's photos. At the same time, if these movies completely fell off the earth tomorrow, <laughs> I would I wouldn't blink. Um, I'm never going to tell anybody they are wrong for loving these movies because there's a lot there to love. I've just never connected with them. Uh, you know, if I had been eight years old when these came out, I'm sure I'd feel differently. Um, but I just never connected to these. I, I, this kind of fantasy is not my favorite kind of fantasy. I think is, is the big, is, is the main part of it. Um, but it's not to say I don't like them or, you know, I don't think they're not enjoyable at all. Or like I said, I, respect the heck out of my respect anybody's opinion who says they love them or has them in their top 20 that's fine uh this one in particular maybe my least favorite of the three but again not saying it's bad um because i think they're all quality movies this one i think i just get the least out of i think it's you know it's a lot of the setup for what comes after um but still pretty good everybody else on uh fellowship so i actually agree with coho this is actually the fourth that Middle-earth film because it's boring as fuck. I hate watching this film because yeah. nothing fucking happens. Don't care about any of the characters and they just walk. It's like doing but worse because at least they're doing something here. They're just like walking, doing nothing. I don't you know. Someone can like these fucking movies. I genuinely don't understand. The only one that's worse than this is fucking Unexpected Journey. Fuck you, Coho. These, I, I wouldn't call them unwatchable, but they're very hard to watch. At least this one. Pretty sure I've seen this 50 times. Yeah, uh, I'm just like so a, angry. <laughs> I'm in the, like, I wouldn't call myself a Middle Earth fan either. Like, where I'd be like, when people are like, oh, the hobbits are like an abomination or whatever. I'm like, ah, it's kind of more Lord of the Rings to me. Uh, like, I, I think the Lord of the Rings movies are superior. I understand that. But I'm not like... Uh, what, I get more frustrated with like talking about the Star Wars prequels and sequels than the Hobbit movies. I don't really understand why people are so mad, but this is probably my favorite one because I like the, I just love the vibe. Uh, yeah, never really got all the two towers hype, honestly. I will say it again. Middle Earth is the number one reason I am not a fan. <laughs> I feel you. Uh, all right, uh, Rue, give us your fifteen. The best Toy Story movie, Toy Story Two. Uh, this oh, is yeah, I guess that early. Yeah. yeah, this is what Toy Story should be. Uh, the first one is great, but it gets dated, and Woody is an asshole. Um, the third and fourth one starts to drop the characters you love and make them side characters. This is the perfect amalgamation of giving all the toys their due based on their hierarchy, but everybody gets 
a time to shine. This is this shows that Buzz, he is the second build, but he's also kind of he if you think back to the original, he is the comedic relief of the two. And and his arc with Zorg and and then you get going back into the 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 toy store and seeing where he originated from, he is showing his arc through comedic relief is hilarious. Seeing Woody have this crisis of saying, am I supposed to be this child's toy or should I be more enjoyed by, by all the kids in the world um, is, is really thought provoking the gang in general going along with, with Buzz's ride gives them, uh, gives them a lot of moments. Um, and it introduces Jesse and the prospector and, 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 and bullseye and makes them a part of the family. I love the introduction of them. Um, when she loved me, fuck you. Like the tears will always, oh my gosh, that song just hits me every time. Um, and then to, to, to end in a great action sequence at the airport with all of the conveyor belts and, and then running as, as inconceivable as it is that Bullseye can catch that plane. You know what? Yes, you can, Bullseye. Yes, you can. Um, and I think one of my favorite parts is when Slink and Bullseye meet and they start growling at each other. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dog lover, and Bullseye is just a big-ass dog. Uh, so the two of them fighting for Woody's affection. It, it's fun. I love this film to death. It is, it is definitely the best out of the four, and all four are great or better. Yeah, uh, I'm also a huge fan of the Toy Story movies, and I think this is the best one as well. I put, put it earlier on my list. But uh, yeah, I'm happy to see that someone agrees because so often it feels like three gets all the glory because it um, it really pumps the tears. It really it makes all of the subtext of the first two movies very literal where Andy is actually finally giving up these toys, even though the second movie really does already uh, feature a character who is already abandoned. It's already dealing with this abandonment. So that leads Woody to have a crisis of faith. It's like a. It's the first Toy Story movie that's like a crisis of faith movie, which is a really heavy theme, I think, for a children's movie. But it works because they put it in the context of toys and their uh, child as like some sort of meaning or God. And it's, uh, I don't know, I think this is the most tasteful uh, examination of that whole um, theme that the movies are setting. I actually like four even more than three because... Uh, uh, I think that it's exploring something new. So yeah, I love this movie. It expands the world in every way uh, imaginable from uh, giving Buzz his TV show and expanding all that out. And and uh, Woody was like a Howdy Doody doll and and the, the toy store and everything. The world just becomes so much deeper in this movie than the first one. Nobody else had this? Okay. Uh, yeah thing about the toy story sequels is all three of them basically tell the same story it's just kids outgrow toys and what do the toys do and um this one does it second best and the only reason it's not the worst one is because toy story 4 sucks um i feel the opposite of jake uh i feel like two gets all the love and three gets disregarded i think three so so much more an interesting movie and fun movie um this is just this feels like it's not as bad as some of them but this kind of has a little like taste of like you taste in the back of your mouth a little bit of the cash in 
like that scene in the toy store where they're going through it's like hey here's a bunch of toys you can buy kids um and yeah i just feel i just feel like uh yeah i just feel like the 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 the, the story of the toys being outgrown and move, having to move on is so much more interesting in the third one than it is in this one. 90 percent of the time i have no idea what the fuck i'm talking about thank you you, you don't uh, use it against me Andy is the law. Hell yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's just Jesse who gets abandoned. Andy wants Woody in this movie, but anyway. Yeah, but he's dealing with issues of abandonment and getting left behind. And what are you gonna do when you get abandoned? And um yeah, it's yeah, I, I mean it's not terrible, but I just I, I this is my third favorite of the four. Um, and my least favorite of the three that I think actually count. Uh, everybody else, Scott and Spence on Toy Story 2. You know, Kirk, I don't like this conversation this for me. I think we all deal with, 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 with uh, issues of abandonment. So why do, wouldn't we love then a second film in the four that deal with the same shit? I think it's great. I think it's a perfect movie. It's probably like objectively like actually I can't say it's the best picture because a lot they have like five perfect movies. But like this is fucking up there. I can't imagine someone could like actively dislike this film, even the slightest bit. There is zero flaws in this. I it per, per, perfect pick. Uh four is great. No. Two is the best. Yes. Uh, hey, I, I, what the fuck? I agree with you guys. <laughs> Actually, believe it or not, this was really close to being in my top one hundred. It was in there for a little bit, it got pushed out by a few things, but um it's a fantastic movie. Um, maybe not like the, yeah, maybe like the ending of three is the most like heartfelt moment, but I don't know. I feel like this is the most consistent, consistent of all of them. And they're all great. It's also the funniest one probably. I don't know why, but I just love the scene where they cross the street as the traffic cones. Um, it's Ooh. that, that scene just cracks me up for some reason, but um, I love all of these movies. It's easily the best animated franchise that there's ever been. I know we're late in the show. We only got you know this and the next episode left, but add it to the list. Take a drink every time Spence calls a movie he does not. They do not have on their top one hundred a perfect movie. Fuck you, Andrew Barr. Because <laughs> his favorite's not best. I can like shitty movies, and I can think best perfect movies don't belong on here. Amru, what is your number fourteen? Captain America: Civil War. Civil War. Um. So there are um. There was kind of a dichotomy that happened where where comic book movies began to hot damn <laughs> comic movies began to try not to be comic book movies and become genre movies with comic book movie characters in them and I feel like Captain America Civil War is one of the best ones that doesn't do that. You see a lot of the um the regular things you're going to see in comic book films, the big action scenes, the the uh the 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 redemption storylines, the, the revenge storylines, whatever it is, I think this film does everything a comic book movie does perfectly. Um, and a little bit more, but it doesn't get into like the the, the greatest of of, uh, of of all time ever. Cause I got got I got a good amount of those coming up. Um, but I absolutely love how the Russos basically made this the you want to introduce a bunch of characters in the perfect way possible. You want to join them together as a comic book page. You want to see a fight uh, like you've seen in the comic books. You want to see what happens when you take those different personalities and what you read as a kid. You want to see it on screen. This is the movie. 
And everybody wants to call this Avengers 2.5. However, the entire Captain America trilogy is about the relationship between Cap and Bucky. And this finishes the relationship about Cap and Bucky. It is Captain America 3. It is called Captain America Civil War for a reason because it is the perfect ending of a trilogy that, that sums up their relationship. And Cap's unyielding just witches to the end of the line, his unyielding faith, and sometimes showing that Cap is not perfect. Um, he's not the all-American all stereotypical. He held the fact that he knew about Tony's death because of his friend, because of that unyielding faith, because of that unyielding loyalty to him that makes him more, gives him more character depth and finishes the story of the Captain America trilogy while having the most badass introduction of a character in the Black Panther, while having the introduction of the best live-action Spider-Man and Peter Parker on screen um, as, as side characters to the main crew who's already there and fucking 17 minutes of Germany is just eye candy. It is so good. It, everybody gets a time to shine. Ending in the, the giant man reveal. I absolutely love this film. And it is, it is why you go to the movie to go see a comic book film. Because you want to see the comic books come to life. And this was one that, that has to take so much, so much time and effort and attention to detail to work. And it works brilliant. Yeah, the airport scene obviously is fantastic. Maybe one of the 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 best you know action fight scenes in a comic book movie ever. What I respect most about this movie is the fact that you get to that airplane scene and they have the big you know good guy versus good guy fight, and you think, oh, it's a comic book movie, so even though it's called Civil War, that fight ended, and now all the good guys are going to go fight the real bad guy. And they turn that on its head and you actually get the good guy versus good guy fight as the big third, uh, uh, third act battle. I respect the heck out of that. However, and you brought this up, I am hard pressed to find a movie character I've ever cared less about than Bucky Barnes. <laughs> died, died the first movie. I'm like, okay, he's gone. Don't have to worry about oh it anymore. Winter Soldier's the bad guy. Uh, I know that from the comics. That's Bucky. He does. He's gone. And then they bring him back. I say Civil War is the story of the two most interesting characters in the MCU breaking up over the least interesting character in the MCU. Bucky is the Yoko Ono of of the Avengers of the MCU. It just ticks me off so bad because like Cap loves him so much. Like, oh, Tony is so much better. You're the only one who sees this guy. You know. And I just hate the way that uh, Tony gets completely punked out at the end of this movie. I just hate. It makes my skin crow. He's like, that's my dad's shield. One of my my most hated moment in any MC movie, MCU movie ever. Um, and I've never been able to fully enjoy this movie because of that. Um, I, I just, I, I yeah. it's, it's just, Bucky is not worth it. Breaking up no. Cap and, and Tony for, co to, yeah. Tony is, or, yeah, no. Yeah. It's not God. I hate it. Uh, everybody else on Civil War. 
there's only like two MCU movies probably that I truly love. However, this is in the really like category. It's it's up there. It's in the top ten, maybe even the top five. I just think the Russos are really good at shooting large scale action scenes in a way that um, you know obviously serves this movie and infinity war and Endgame really well like you have a really good sense of place like where everyone is what everyone is doing um and i think i think we take it for granted because you know when you have this many characters it's like how do you actually give the attention necessary to all of them and keep the action clear and everything and i feel like even though visually again sometimes the these movies can get really drab um, I think the Russos are probably the best at keeping you in the context of what is going on. And that's certainly true in this movie. Muted. Oh, Maru, how, how, uh, how hard can I go on this? Because I, I, I don't uh, – do you want me to go hard on it or take it easy? Do whatever you want to do. Just remember, tr we're trying to keep this under three hours. And <laughs> yeah, because yeah, like, no, no, no. this is kind of where yeah. I sour – this is kind of where I sour on uh, a lot of Marvel movies. I'm kind of with Kirk that uh, I think this is, to me, this feels like uh, when you're a little kid and you're like, oh, like my Superman could beat up like uh, like Spider-Man. It's like, nah, Spider-Man would totally kick his ass. And it's just that movie played out. And uh, Yes! Real... <laughs> yes! That's the point! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the issue that I have, just really quick, is that there's no stakes to it because you don't care about the larger fight. Uh, by design, it's an irrelevant, like, stupid thing to fight about. Like, oh, like, do we want to register as superheroes? It's nonsense. Like, it's an invented reason so you can pick which one you want to win. Uh, anyone can be correct. That's the problem with it. It's That's muddy. the beauty of it. But anyway. This is the worst Captain America film. I want to put emphasis on the word worst. No. Not no. the least good. The worst. It is God. not a good movie. God. The, no. the, again, God. the story is a little contrived. I think, in, in theory, it could work really well. It's not put together very well. The airport fight scene means nothing. It's the biggest scene in the MCU before in game. And then it doesn't fucking matter because the characters aren't actually fighting each other. They're just passing the time because Rooster Brothers don't know how to fucking direct an action scene here. They're just passing the time making the movie two and a half hours for no fucking reason. And at the, at, the, at the end of all, you have, a, you have a fight scene where, as a viewer, you know they will not kill any of the three characters involved. So why fucking do it? Why would you put a two scenes now in a film which make up a significant portion of the runtime, which mean nothing, which add nothing to the actual danger of the film? The, the uh, Zemo's plot makes no fucking sense. Genuinely unbacked. I said until Endgame, Coho, back your shit up. Even then it's no, you didn't. Don't try and backpedal now. <laughs> I'm saying what I meant. Anyways, this is not a good film. It's for me, bottom 10, if not bottom. It's bottom 10 MCU, most overrated MCU movie, besides maybe Doctor Strange. It's not good. You like the That's 1990 Captain America more than this? Yes. I would say speaking towards like the actual like storyline of the registration, the thing that I think hogtied them here is they took the comic book storyline, which was like this overarching thing in, in the entire Marvel universe, and they pigeonholed it to like the ten characters that they had the rights to and wanted to put in the story, and had to like right. fit that round hole and or the the round peg in the square hole, and it kind of hurts. No X Men. It. 
Yeah. Right. Exactly. That, yeah, or that, or it, Fantastic Four or yeah. anybody else. Yeah. Spider-Man's best scene in the comics is not in the film. The, th- the thing that makes the fucking book. <laughs> you are wrong. All of you are wrong. Hey, Rue, watch, watch any movies on this on the show. I'm sorry, but for five seconds, I know we're about to go really long, but I cannot sit here and let Spence pretend to tell me that the Civil War comic book's best moment is fucking Spider-Man Unmasking when that's the worst thing that happens in the entire fucking book. That is the worst <laughs> thing that happens. There's a reason why they do an entire two... You're not No, 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 There's a reason why there's two storylines following this for Spider-Man to retcon that from happening. That is the worst thing that happened in the book. Get the fuck out of my show. Go backstage. <laughs> yes. We're now the way. Top 100 comic book stories. Everybody oh, click make your list. All right. Uh, that was Amaru's number 14, which takes us over to Jake for your 17. Uh, at 17, I have Carrie. Okay. So, uh, like... Well, I was like, um, <laughs> I used to go to like, uh, I'm old enough that we used to like rent VHSs and at the rental store, they had this big poster for uh Carrie and it's like the, the TV movie remake. They just had a poster in it. Just like, a from the nineties version of this movie, which isn't the one I'm talking about, but like that poster of a girl covered in blood scared the shit out of me and like haunted my dreams as a child. So when I finally caught this like late night on TV as a kid, uh, I like, um, was kind of uh like so the movie is everyone yeah <laughs> so as a kid you're kind of leaned in when uh they have like an admittedly like now as an adult you can see it's pretty perverted shower scene where the, the one of the most controversial things in the movie i think in our in um 2021 if you watch it now but the camera just like glides through this girl's locker room which is pretty icky but as a kid it like leans you in because it's um because you're a little pervert when you're like, I don't know, 10 or whatever, you know, and uh, for it to go from uh, like peeking in a girl's locker room, something kind of weird and perverted and forbidden to going to like a high school girl experiencing her first period. It fucking like scarred me immediately. I was just like, I didn't even know what that was. I had no idea what was going on. And this is just speaking to the opening of the movie, which really half the, uh, half the uh, movie takes place in the prom scene where it's just drawing out this elaborate sequence where um, it's just incredible how long he can like sustain the tension in this movie. And the score is just perfect. If you want to see the difference between like what a great director makes. Watch the remake of Carrie, the modern remake, which uses the exact same script as this movie, like almost like word for word. And it is just flat as fuck. It's crazy. All right. Uh, Carrie, I've seen once. I liked it. I think it's just a great, I think it's a great adaptation. Uh, I think it just does what Stephen King does so well and take like the mundane horror of just everyday life, specifically like being a teenage girl and uh, you know, not that I mean the horrors of being a teenage girl that they experience, and um, you know, Trent, you know, makes that a super, in, you know, into a supernatural horror. Um, I think Sissy Spacek is really good. Um, it's just weird to look back, like at you know, kind of her career and just see her as like very mousy, like um, you know, just just the, the character she created in this is is really solid. Um, but again, I haven't seen it in a while, so I don't have too much to say about it. Everybody else on Carrie. 
I ashamedly have not seen this, um, even though I'm a big Brian De Palma fan. I've literally used 80s De Palma as a strength before. I just need to e explore 70s De Palma more, I guess. This is really great. Uh, I couldn't tell you the reason I watched this. I was just like, you know what? Sure. It was my uh, second De Palma film after, obviously, uh possible. But, like, this is insanely good. It could be because it's also sort of like a coming-of-age film. I, I love everything about it. I think it's other than its ending, which I think is a little weird. I think it's very of the time. But everything up until that is just a perfect movie. And I wish I could see like I don't know. I, I, I wish I could see it more uh retold in interesting ways. So I think I think it's a good like baseline for like evolutions on what it is. And the remake happened. But I think on its own it's just it's a really it's a really fantastic story. We're keeping the train moving. Still haven't seen this. All right. Uh, Jake, number 16. I have uh, Inglorious Bastards. Uh, yikes. Shit. <laughs> to a future uh, episode. All right, Jake, uh, 15. I have Audition. Such a Jake pick, actually, at this point. Now that I'm reading these lists out loud, uh, this makes... Uh, perfect sense as like a, a very like sadistic um like <laughs> uh unpleasant movie but uh i really uh i think there's something about this movie that's uh the structure of it is so playful that it um starts like a very straight faced romance movie uh which is something you kind of i kind of wish every movie would do that where it's just it spends like most of its time with very little warning that uh, this is one genre of movie you're watching. And then uh, the way that it slides and reveals itself and it reveals itself so fast and so sharp, like a knife. Like, it's just like, it's not going to draw this. It, it is drawing out the tension, but by showing you very little until it shows you everything and it's too much. And all the performances in it are incredible. Takashi Miike, for people who don't know, makes like three movies a year and just happened, to, I guess, to make this uh, masterpiece. He might have made other ma masterpieces, you might argue, but this is the one that everyone should start with. Uh, this is yet another movie where I had wanted to see for a while. I just heard it build up and everybody talked about it. Uh, watch it for the show this week. Um, I kind of wish I went in blind, not knowing, and I'm not going to talk about it too much because if anybody doesn't know what it is, I don't want to spoil it for them. Um, but I kind of went in, I, I wish I went in blind, not knowing what it was because no, oh. it, it takes a while to get there. And I was just waiting. Okay. When's it going to happen? And had I not known that, I think I would have watched the movie through a different lens and probably enjoyed it a little bit more. Um, and maybe, you know, had a little more fun with it trying to figure out what was going on because it does have like a like mystery element to it um but the, the payoff comes kind of late in the movie um so that's i was kind of jade towards so if you, if you haven't heard anything about this movie don't go in completely blind um because i think you'll get the best out of it that way uh has nbl seen audition i know sadly no it's cool i think i like the movie but all right, Jake, uh, you're 14. 14, probably controversial for some reason. Interstellar. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Good. I'm glad we're on team correct. Not uh, controversial here, buddy. Oh, All thank right. You. 
that was your 14. So now we're going to go to carousel style for everybody's top three for the night. Starting with Scott and your number 13. Uh, some would say it's a perfect movie. Probably Spence. Uh, others would say it's the perfect movie. Casablanca. <laughs> I give up. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I have always loved this movie. However, I saw it in theaters for the first time this year, and that is what catapulted it this high on my list. Um, like, the the entire first scene, the long scene inside Sam's, I'm just sitting there like, jaw on the floor like head and hands the entire time even though i've seen the movie many times um it's just like such amazing filmmaking that has barely ever been replicated that sense of place the way that all the different characters and side stories the little side stories like there's so many little subplots that like add so much texture to the movie and to the world that is created inside sam's um club it's not it's not just um rick's club sorry <laughs> i keep saying sam um it's not just the story of rick and ilsa it's you know there's all these other little you know stories again like uh, that rick is helping people out with that like i said just adds so much to the world of this movie and that first scene in rick's is uh it just builds that world so spectacularly um and when he sees ilsa for the first time when they play as time goes by um I think the, what's so strong about the movie is just like the writing. This is another movie that just goes it like not five minutes go by in the movie without you hearing like one of the most iconic lines in film history. Um, it just it, it tells a very, you know, intimate story, but it does it in an, in an epic way. Um, and it's just, you know, it, ha it has action, it has suspense, it has romance, it has great music, like it has everything you want in a movie. It is the perfect movie. It really is. Like if you, if you want to show somebody who has never seen a movie before, hey, this is how it's done. You show them Casablanca. Um, I, I firmly believe that even, a, even if it's only my 13, um, I, it's, it's, it's so entertaining and regardless of your age or your proclivity for watching classic films, how can you not enjoy this? Like I, it, I will never understand if there is somebody who doesn't. Yeah. Um, everything you're saying is absolute facts. Uh, this is a fantastic movie. Took me a while. I think like two or three viewings till I really like latched onto what was going on and really totally appreciated it uh i've said this before that first five ten minutes where they're just showing casablanca and the people there and what they're going through is some of the greatest world building i've ever seen in a movie just sets you up for exactly the world you're going to spend the next you know hour and a half two hours in um and then you have what like you said once i get right once i get into ricks and you see the whole world in there and how you know just the, the politics and and the culture that that exists in that is so great um Sam's character arc is so is so great. Just you know, starts. I stick my neck out for nobody, and that's his his credo. And then he, uh, you know, just to watch him change and just somebody sees like I love the La Marseillaise, the French uh, the French national oh, yeah. scene. Um, just so powerful. When you see all all the you know the girls who have been like kind of like clinging to the German officers and just re, you know recapture that passion for, for their country. And you know that's kind of a, a turning point for Sam too when he lets them do that. Um, I love Claude Rains in this. Uh, he's so good and just his relationship with Sam 
Um, I can go on. Sydney Green Street. Also. Yeah, Sydney Green Street's great. Yeah, I can go on and talk about this movie a lot because it is so fantastic. Uh, everybody else, why don't you have a cost blog on the list? It's great. Uh, Rick like cucks that war hero so hard in this movie, <laughs> like over and over and over. This is a cucky movie, cuckiest movie so far. Wow. If you could never say the word cocky 10 times in a <laughs> sentence, that'd be great. Uh, so, Scott, why were you talking to me about this? Uh, I infamously don't love it like most people do. That being said, I rewatched oh, the I didn't realize match. That. It's like semi-recently. I, I'm too harsh in the film. I think I think it's the same issue as like Raiders of the Lost Ark, where it's like, this is a really good movie, and I have no complaints with it. I have one. But it's like I just—it's a film I don't like latch myself to. It's a film I never truly love, but like I get it a little bit. My thing though is I hate when this is pitched as a romance film because I think Rick and Elsa are a bad couple. <laughs> I think they do not fit together. It's a little toxic even. Uh, so I think like this like this big like pining romance of like an older dude like a girl who's like I think like twenty. Not good. Really not good. <laughs> uh, that being said, uh, Ingrid Bergman, all time performance. She is. Fucking fantastic. I have seen a movie. Yay. A movie. Hey. Only seen it once. That's why it's not on here. But I remember really, really enjoying it. Uh, I need to rewatch it some more. All right, Spence. Uh, what is your number 13? Mm. You guys ready for another fucking book smart question? <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. I don't think a film is out. Okay, other than something else about it, there's another film is a film has never entered my top 100 so quickly. I watched this. I'm like, wait, this is like exactly made for me. And then I watched it again like a month later. Like, oh, this is perfect. Got no complaints. Fucking amazing. Uh, I adore this movie. Maybe the funniest film. Not okay. Not ever. But like, it's it's my favorite like straightforward comedy. I laugh my ass about every bit. It's even the weird fucking dolphin thing, I think is hilarious. Uh, Be- Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Deaver are pitch perfect. I love how th- I love them in this. Uh, shout out to uh, Skylar Gazondo, who is awkward as shit. And you know what? I fuck with that dude. He's great. And Billy Lord gives the best supporting actress performance of the decade. Hard stop. <laughs> no qualifiers. She is – Gigi is perfection. Fuck you, Scott. I like my list more than yours. Uh, this is an amazing, amazing movie. And you'll ask it the questions about it. I don't give a shit because it's amazing. Shout out to Cameron Holzman. Um, it's a good movie. Um, I'm <laughs> in a camp where I do feel it's very derivative of what's come before. Um, it may be an age thing, but I just there, there are other movies in this very, very specific genre, sub-genre uh, that I enjoy more. Um, I do love <laughs> Billy... Billy Greatest performance of the decade is supporting actress. No nonsense, one of war. but Billy really Lord is really good at it. Um, I love the theater kids. Uh, the the uh, the karaoke scene. We never singing, I want you. Shh. That's 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 my favorite moment of the movie. How how, how you never said to me you're in a ten and you do it a two. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's good. Um, I just don't love it as the rest as some of you do. Everybody else on books work. Uh, I was very not surprised, but I was very pleased that as 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 Kirk said, it's very derivative of watching another one of these films and not thinking it was old. Uh, because it's really easy to take these films and get real old real quick. 
and this movie is funny as hell. Um, I enjoyed it a lot, um, but I still have only seen it once because uh, I did not love it that quickly. Um, but I'd watch it again. Yeah, it's really good. Um, the community has not ruined this movie for me yet, um, but I, I I do really like it. Uh, even if there are others in the genre, I like more. Billy Lord is. Yeah, she's she's great in the movie. It, is it better than I don't know Lori Metcalf and Lady Bird? Absolutely not. Yes. Um, that's that's a, that's a I'm, Knives I'm Out is down. the best screenplay of the 2010s level take right there. Original but, screenplay. Um, <laughs> sorry, Coho. Um, but also, but I will say that the when it cuts to her at the graduation playing the piano, that was probably the hardest I laughed in the whole movie. The way that she's just so dramatically just uh, is great. It, it's a super fun movie. I saw it multiple times in theaters. I'm glad people like it a lot. Yeah. One of the funniest comedies of the past few years, I think. Uh, yeah. I, I, I personally am not really... I think the setup is a little contrived just to get there. Like, oh, like everyone got into Ivy League colleges. Yeah, and I have a problem with that too. Yeah. That's, that's, I, that's, that's not how high school works. Yeah, no, that's not how high school works. And it's, it's a weird like joke to make. Like, is everyone so connect? I just, like, I don't get the joke if there is one. I like, it's a strange, um, <laughs> whatever. But like, yeah, I don't think they really need that device. I think something uh, as simple as super bad. Oh, tried to have, uh, Good night for the last time of the year is simple enough that they could have just got there a little faster. All right. Amaru, number 13, please. One of the greatest strictly comedy movies of all time, The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Hey! <laughs> this movie hits on all levels. Um, this is Apatow at his fucking greatest um, because every single actor in this film is so damn funny. And even if you hate them, so damn likable. Um, I think Everyone the worst the, the worst part of this film is Jane Lynch. And she's hilarious. And she is hilarious. And maybe the, the two seconds with um, uh, uh, Leslie Mann. Uh, but still, yeah. it works. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is basically what set off comedy for the rest for, for the rest of the the this century so far it it makes gross out humor likable and relatable and funny and it's just and and romany malco if you haven't seen um the, he came out with this movie this year oh fuck i can't remember the guy's name um but it says from from uh from prison to prosperity it's it's a movie he came out with last year Romany Malco, I gotta look it up. I will later. It is, is he the guy who looks like Tupac? Yes, yes. It, it is one of the funniest movies. It was one of my favorite movies last year, but Romany Malco in this. How, why are you putting the pussy on this pedestal? Why are you doing that? Yeah. The scene with him and Kevin Hart <laughs> is fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah. You and your mans. You and it's oh my god. I love this movie. It is so damn funny. Uh, I oh my gosh! I just just quoted all day. The old brown guy is great too. What's his name? Yes. 
Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember. His yeah, name, right? that guy's great. Yeah, okay. The thing I like all this movie so much, uh, I realize the essence of what I enjoy about it so much is that with a title like 40 year old virgin, you expect this movie to be making fun of this character a lot. And I find that the movie has a very even hand with making fun of every different man in this movie. All of these uh, fairly low life like dudes who all have their own weird fucking hang ups with women, whether it's like they're stalking their ex or uh, they're like a pervert or uh, they they're cheating on their wife constantly. Like uh, they all have their own like fucked up like issues with women. And Andy in, in contrast has like every like 15 year old boys, like dream bedroom with like a gaming chair and like all these, like his favorite band posters. And like Andy's living the dream. He has a job that like doesn't require any. The only thing is Andy, like he doesn't have a, a significant other in his life. That's the one thing. The intimacy is out at the window. So that's what I really like about the movie. I, I think, yeah, I think it's it's great how everyone gets their own story arc in it too. Like all the main characters uh, learn a lesson and get their own happy ending. And I think it's really optimistic of Judd Apatow. Uh, that's what I love about this. The movie is uh, Tijuana Jackson, uh, Purpose Over Prison. It's on Hulu. Go watch it and have a good time. Mm. Uh, yeah, I love this movie. This is one of my all-time favorite comedies. Definitely my favorite Judd Apatow comedy. Uh, and yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Jake. It's very, it's, it's, there's no mean spirit to this in this movie at all. Like, it's very, like, loving, accepted, scares. And I think that's built around, uh, you know, Steve, the character Steve Carell creates is just so likable and, like, so sincere. And so, you know, he, he's just a real guy. And yeah, it's funny because, like, the, at the beginning of the movie, like, he's fine with the way his, his life is. Like, these guys come in and kind of just completely screw it up for him. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, he's great. I think the, 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 like, the, the supporting characters like his friends uh paul rudd is hilarious uh, all three of them, uh, um uh seth green uh did i say seth Rogan. green yeah, <laughs> seth, yeah um they're they're all i like that you said they all have like their moments like they all all the stuff they do um and kathy's throwing quotes in the chat we quote this movie all the time um <laughs> because it's so quotable um because there's just so many funny moments just like <laughs> she ate your ho no mo uh, just stuff like that. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's so funny. And it's so, like I said, it's so sincere. Like, it's it's really like, it's a movie that really like likes its characters and isn't talking down to them or saying like, hey, these guys are bad or stupid or anything. It's just, they are what they are. And they're having a good time. Uh, I love this movie. Uh, Scott and Spence on 40-Year-Old Virgin. Um, I know what I like, and Judd Apatow is generally not it. However, um, Rue's excitement for the movie, and also some of the things y'all have said about it, like having a, a, you know affection for its characters or whatever, you know, maybe I'll give it a shot. You haven't seen it? No, I haven't. Oh, wow. I also haven't seen it, but not because of Judd Apatow. Because I know Kevin Hart's in this, and I fucking hate Kevin Hart, so I've steered away from this. He's in it for like 30 seconds. I know. I know he's a bit hard, but it still worries me. Although I do, like, Kathy, my favorite joke in the film, I think just like, I love boobs when they're like, when they're like, back of sand. Best joke. Everything else I really don't really know, but like, he's great. Back of sand, you idiot. Kevin Hart is great in the movie. Yeah, Kevin Hart. Hart. Michael's quote in the chat is from that, and it is is so good. So good. (laughs) He's actually Kevin Hart's. Per- I, I'm not a huge Kevin. I'm not always a huge Kevin Hart fan, but he's perfect in this. It's it's perfect. 
Yeah, and Michael is right. I do believe that the the older Indy guy did go to prison for murder. Um, <laughs> really, he's still, he's still funny in the movie. Um, <laughs> Jake, what is your number thirteen? Uh, thirteen, I have first reformed. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, another like probably a very me pick. Uh, this is a movie about uh, like a a worried pregnant woman who goes to a priest because. Her husband has been radicalized by the threat of climate change uh, and wants to have wants her to have an abortion. So he's making a like anti-natalist argument that bringing life into a doomed world is uh, like there's there's it's cruel. It's cruel to introduce life into a hostile world. So the movie um, is, that's the central argument the movie is having. Uh, through the prism of Catholicism, or not not even, they're Protestant, I'm, I'm not sure, whatever, some sort of Christianity, um, though he's a minister. Um, and, uh, yeah, really tackling, like, these, these modern issues, but uh, also in the same sh vague shape as uh, Taxi Driver, where this is about uh, the priest character um, becoming uh, radicalized slowly as he learns more and more about like the very real threat of climate change. And um, the, the movie ultimately has an ambiguous ending, which I think, hmm, it, I think it says a lot about you depending on where you fall down on the ending of the movie uh, because Paul Schrader designed it that way. Uh, he designed it, unlike Taxi Driver, where you're like, oh, is this ending a dream or wasn't it a dream? This uh, version of the ending, um, it's, I feel like it means more. It means, uh, are, are you a, an optimist or a pessimist, basically? So, yeah, love this movie. Uh, big downer after books went 40 year old virgin. Um, <laughs> no, it's a good movie though. I, like I saw this, like this is another one that I took a while to get to because I didn't know anything about it except I did like everybody told me like it is a it, it's a down movie. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed it. Like it is really dark, but it's also interesting. Just like look at like take on faith, and I think uh, uh, totally black is on the actor's name who plays the main character. Uh, Ethan Hawk. Ethan Hawk, yeah, that's what happens with two and a half hour show. Um, Ethan Hawk, I think, really just is is strong in this, just like his introspection of what he's going through and what he's discovering. Um, I like the scenes, like like the the church politics scenes, and just like the church, the scenes like the youth groups are very realistic. Like it, it, it's a very realistic portrayal mm. of that world. Um, and yeah, I I think it's I want to see it again because like you said, there is a lot of ambiguity to it. Um, I've only watched it one time. Uh, but it's a strong, very, very strong Paul Schrader script. Uh, everybody else, who's seen First Reformed? I saw it. Uh, yeah, I like it. Um, I mean, Ethan Hawke's one of my favorite actors, so it's cool to see him get a role this meaty. Um, and, yeah, it's some of his best work for sure. I, I, I really like the ending. Um I will say there is, though, like this dream sequence. There is like this really like fantastical dream sequence in the movie at one point that is like a lot for me. Um, but I think the rest of the movie works really well. Ending is bad. Really doesn't work. Sort of out of nowhere. I sort of hate it. The first act. Don't really love. It's sort of boring. And I don't really like connected characters that much. And he's a little slow. Those middle like 90 to 100 minutes. Perfection. I love I love everything after the um after after the, after the boyfriend dies. 
when you actually see what what the movie is like actually about, and Ethan Hawke mm. sort of confronting his his religion, is brilliant. My favorite thing Schrader's ever done. It's incredible. I just wish it wasn't sandwiched or bookended by like these two bits that I really can't get into. If the movie was just that, I could watch it endlessly. It's fucking amazing. So, do you think that he was dead at the end? Is what I guess the question. Does everyone think that he was dead, or that it was he was he, dreaming, or what? He was getting his bone on with a girl who sucks dick on a kayak. That's all that I really noticed. <laughs> what do you think? Do you think? <laughs> I'm honestly not sure. That's why I would watch it again. Uh, Rue, you see this one? I have not. We just kind of spoiled a lot of it for Rue. Yeah. <laughs> um, are you gonna watch it? Probably not. There you go. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, don't think, I don't think it's a Rue movie. Nah. Uh, all right, Scott. Let's get your number twelve. Uh, my favorite documentary of all time: uh, Hoop Dreams. Hoop, there it is. Yikes! <laughs> uh, it's interesting that I talked about Boyhood earlier. This movie actually was kind of the original Boyhood. Like, well, there's also a documentary called Seven Up from like the '60s that Michael Apted did. That's a similar thing too. But this was like the the concept of like, hey, we're gonna follow these kids around for four years, um, and we don't really know what's gonna happen, right? Um, and it becomes just this amazing, you know, portrait of America. These two kids living in inner city Chicago. It's not just about basketball, obviously, but um, I think as a sports fan, this movie, like, I, I think it helps non-sports fans, like, understand why we as sports fans get so into the games. Uh, because, like, you know, so there are times, like, when your favorite team is playing in a uh, in a game and it, you know, a big game and it's like, this, my life depends on this. Well, this movie is like, what if your life actually depended on uh, you know, whether you make this next shot in the basketball game, right? Because that's what these kids are aiming for. Like they are trying to make it out of this life so that they're, you know, not stuck in the inner city here um, for, you know, for, for the rest of their lives. They are trying to get a chance to go to college, which they might not otherwise get. They're trying to get a chance to maybe play professional basketball um, beyond that. Um, and so the game sequences, when they actually are playing, take on, just like such a there is so much suspense because again you don't know what's going to happen and like you're literally watching real life um and uh it's yeah it, so so that stuff is great there's all these little like side stories about everyone about like the families and just the context that that provides for again why it is so important to these two kids to make something of themselves quote unquote um and yeah, like, again, it becomes such an interesting portrait of all of them. Like, there's a story about the mom trying to get her to her college degree. And when she gets it, it's just like this great inspirational moment. The kids themselves are really engaging. Um, and uh, actually, I have to, you know, flex a little bit. One of the two kids who they follow around, William Gates, his son uh, lived across the hall from me my freshman year of college. Um very nice, very nice guy. Um, I unfortunately never met his father, but um, his his son was a very nice, very nice guy. So that was a cool connection I have to the movie. But um, yeah, it, it's it's a you know one of the best movies about America, in my opinion, um, and trying to achieve the American dream um, in an environment where it is really hard to do that. Um, so I absolutely love Hoop Dreams. It's a movie that everyone should watch, whether you are a sports fan or not. Scott, I owe you an apology. 
um, because I had determined that I was going to watch all the movies in all your top 30 uh, lists. Uh, as of yesterday, I went in. I had two movies left to watch. I finished one. I uh, had to host a match. And I was like, oh, after this match is over, I will go watch Hoop Dreams and I will go to bed. I went on HBO Max, went to load up Hoop Dreams, looked at I saw a runtime, two hours and 52 no minutes. And I said, <laughs> nope. Um, this is, uh, I'm not a big documentary guy to begin with. Um, I'm really not interested in the NBA. I'm not interested in NBA, NBA players. Uh, if you, that's your thing, awesome. Um, I'm not. I don't like the NBA it. either. That's, that's just not my thing. Um, so this, I didn't have real connection or interest to begin with. And I saw that runtime and I was like, I think I'll pass on this for now. So this is the one I did not get to see. And I apologize. Everybody else on Hoop Dreams. No, one of the greatest documentaries to ever be made. This, this movie is amazing. I don't watch many documentaries. I watch this one. It's, it's really great. And that runtime you don't feel, um, and it's not, it's not really about the NBA. It's, it's about everything behind what's got, it's about everything behind why you get so connected. Um, and it's, it's sad and hopeful and it's just, it's, it's a, it's a really good. And there's definitely like stuff about like the economics of all of like college sports and stuff that really like remains relevant today of like, you know, paying players, all that, all that type of stuff and how sort of unfair the system is a little bit. Jake, you see this one? Uh, yeah, I saw like uh, some of it in a uh, gym class at one point. They like reeled in like uh, uh, the cart with the old TV. And uh, I don't think I finished it, but it was very effective when uh, when I the stuff that I did see. So yeah, I gotta maybe I want to watch this in its entirety. All right, Spence, hit us with your number twelve. I wouldn't be shocked if I stopped talking for the episode. Um, number twelve is Whiplash. Wow. Okay. I think this is just uh, – this to me is one of those, like, movies that if you got into films around the time, I'd just like, oh, yeah, I love this film. It's sort of generic to have such, like, deep connections to it. But I think that this is just – it's – I think it's one that, that sort of rewards revisiting because its conversation is so mature and thought-provoking of, like, what are you willing to sacrifice for your art? And I think that Chazelle – navigates that really well while also not not like making the viewer like decide he also i i I think the actual the performances of every song in the soundtrack but namely caravan at the end is perfection it's some of the most engaging thrilling scenes ever put to film and that's from someone who like i've gone to a lot of like music concerts like not like non lyric not what's 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 instrumental concerts and it's boring as fuck. But he, he finds a way to photograph <laughs> it and make all and make, and make the actual character dynamics come through in the music, and it's fucking brilliant. I think the film makes like a necessary sacrifice and having like a weird. They're just like, oh hey, the music just disappeared for no fucking reason. But I think everything around that, everything that it builds up to in the big fight and just Fletcher as like this intimidating, all powerful villain. Who is just like an average fucking dude? A lot of us have to deal with our day to day lives. It's an amazing film. Yeah, I've talked about this movie a lot. Um, I think everybody knows I love this movie, and I think everybody's heard me say this before about. But I said again, uh, Terrence Fletcher is one of the all time great movie villains. Uh, good movie villain believes they're doing the right thing, and even better movie villain makes you think that maybe they're doing the right thing because uh, you watch this movie and you're like. 
he might you hate yourself for it, but he might be onto something. Um, you know that that's always like you know the, you know the, the famous line is two worst you know most dangerous words are good jobs. Like he's not wrong. Uh, you know, this, but he's just so slimy. Just that, that scene, like the worst thing he does in this movie is that scene where, you know, when he first uh, meets him outside in the hall, he's talking, just making small talk. Oh, what's your, you know, tell me about your family. Tell me about your mom and dad, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes in and he just uses that against him and just needles him. It just shows you just how evil and deranged he is. But like, he has a purpose and his purpose isn't necessarily wrong. He, he's, he's trying to make these kids into what he wants them to be. And I mean, he, I mean, he drives one kid to basically kill himself. But like he's he you know he he's looking for that kid and that look at the end that ending, just I love a movie that just makes you feel sick for days. And this movie I felt sick for days after watching this movie, just thinking about that ending. And you know was was he did everything he do was it all his plan was this what he wanted to get to or did, you know did he just you know get it you know did he just find him you know at the end? Uh, but it's so great and just I again I talk about him a lot. This movie revolves around him. You know I'm not a huge. Uh, Miles Teller fan. I think he's serviceable in the role. I think he does well with uh, against uh, J.K. Simmons, but J.K. Simmons is just the absolute star of this movie, and just his what he does is just so great. And yeah, I love it. Everybody else on Whiplash, why do you have this on your list? This movie is intense, and J.K. Simmons deserves all the things all the time ever. Yep. Um, but it's just not my top 100, but it's, it's a really, really, really good movie. Uh, but fuck Miles Teller. Uh, you guys uh, might recall, like, uh, when Amadeus came up, I mentioned my mean, like, eighth grade music teacher that, like, made it, let's watch Amadeus, and I, like, held it against the movie uh, for that reason, even though I think it's a perfect movie. It just personally triggered me. Uh, this movie is, like, that on steroids, For this guy was, like, you know, performatively intense. Uh, I think the movie's amazing, but because it's accurate, like, but like for someone who didn't learn shit in music class, yeah, I don't know. Good movie though. <laughs> yeah, very good, very good movie. Grueling to watch, um, but yeah, I mean, it works because the J.K. Simmons character is not just like a one-dimensional drill sergeant, like Arlie Ermy screaming at all of them. He actually, you, you. Under, you come to understand why he does what he does. Like, you know, the whole scene where he sees him out um, at the club or whatever, and they have that conversation. Like, um, it fleshes out the character so well in a way that a worse movie would not um, and would just be content with, oh, we're just going to let this character yell and have some memorable sound bites. So I think that's what makes the movie really special. All right. Uh, that takes us to Amaru and your number 12. Uh, a movie I unapologetically and love so much, Snatch. Did I mention I like ensembles? Uh, have I mentioned that I like uh, action and comedy? Um, I haven't mentioned yet. I actually really like Guy uh, Ritchie as a director. I like his frenetic style. I like when he puts when when everything just kind of flows uh, at a rapid pace. But I love it the most when you have particularly unique hilarious characters um and i i i love uh jason statham in this uh what are you scared of the germans uh brad pitt is mickey and the the the, the pikey accent is absolutely hilarious boris the blade and bullet to tony um uh dennis farina in this is just every single character in this film i think this is one of three films including 40 year old virgin that every time i watch it 
I have belly laughs just continuously again and again and again. And this is this is one of the few movies that I am like, I, I have gotten at least five different people to watch because I just think it is so hilarious, so fun. And the the intertwining of of, of all the storylines with all of the humor and the cool little action sequences that are that like the chase scenes and his frenetic style. I think the tone is pitch perfect. Um, the gentleman might creep into this list because I think this is the first time the, the gentleman is the first time in a long time that guy Richie was able to get back to that level of fun and that level of enjoying just being with these characters and laughing your ass off and letting actors just have an absolute blast on screen. Um, I, I love this. Uh, have a, let them have an absolute blast on stream. I love this movie, and it is one of the funniest movies that I watch continuously. This is definitely my favorite Guy Ritchie movie. Um, I think it's just such a perfect blend of like the crime and the comedy, um, where you feel like the weight of it, you feel the stakes, like everybody's life is in danger and like it's real. Uh, but you still have like you know legitimately hilarious moments in it. I think in the hands of a lot of other directors, this just comes off as a really generic Pulp Fiction ripoff or you know Tarantino ripoff in general. Um, but Richie really uh, has that unique style that he makes this his own. Uh, and yeah, I think Brad Pitt is the standout. He just does that like gross, like dirty you know guy so well. And um, you know he's perfect in this, but the whole cast. I was just well, you were, you know what we we're talking about. I was just going through, just looking at everybody in this movie. Um, just so stacked from top to bottom. Uh, everybody else on Snatch. Uh, I like Guy Ritchie, uh, some Guy Ritchie movies, but uh, some Guy Ritchie movies, it like seems like if a movie could give you herpes, that Guy Ritchie <laughs> movies would probably give you herpes. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm afraid to see The Gentleman because I'm pretty sure I don't want to get herpes. <laughs> gentleman's a little cleaner. Okay. Uh. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I could... go ahead, Scott. Oh, go ahead. I thought you were done. No, no, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, I kind of I hear where Jake is coming from because like, there's only so many times I can hear the c word in a movie before I start to just like tune out. Uh, and Guy Ritchie's movies tend to uh, to scatter it in there. I actually haven't seen this one. Uh, I have seen The Gentleman. Colin Farrell is the only good part of that movie, in my opinion. Uh, I'm not. I'm just not a huge Ooh. fan of his. When he, when he makes these types of movies, in my opinion. Get tested, bro. <laughs> Grant is great in that film. So is Charlie Hunter. But both of them are, but okay. I've not seen it. All right. Uh, Jake, number 12, please. 12, I have Matrix. Oh, shit. Am I the only one with the Matrix? That's crazy. No, uh, I had like, a, a while yeah. ago. Okay, yeah. Okay, great, good. Uh <laughs> Yeah, the Matrix. Uh, I feel like it's uh, that's the movie that like changed like movies the most in a long ass time. Uh, anytime the new Matrix trailer comes out, because they're they're you know it's uh, December now, December eighteenth. That movie come or December twenty second. Um, every time that comes on and I'm at a movie theater, I'm just like, shut the fuck up, to whoever I'm with. We are watching this Matrix trailer right now. And they're like, if they're like after, like, it looks like it might be okay. I'm like, you just like, I didn't ask for that opinion. Like, this movie's going to roll. We're all going to have a great time at the new Matrix movie. But yeah, uh, <laughs> um, this movie is, uh, 
there's the way I see it, there's a timeline of pre-matrix and post-matrix in the same way as like Star Wars. Uh, I think that um, it's incredible that the, the fact that, um, you know, uh, men's rights, toxic men's rights activists can get behind this movie. And also, like, there can be, like, very valid trans readings on this movie just shows how uh, universal this very, very, very strange and specific science fiction story is. How, how um, it doesn't seem like something that could just, you could, everyone could glom onto like Star Wars. You can understand how Star Wars would be a huge hit, but a bunch of like pale uh, basement people in black trench coats doing kung fu through the internet sounds like fucking like nerd shit that no one, you know. Sorry for swearing so much. <laughs> I know this is a children's wow. show, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, I it's hard to talk about the Matrix because I love it so much. But yeah, the Matrix is one of the most iconic films of all time. Um, I had it at 58 because I do believe that people uh, raise the movie higher than it is because of how iconic it is. So like as a movie itself, it is a it, it, it is the first of its kind. It changed the landscape of movies. What it did for action films is is a once in a generation type thing. But the movie itself, because I watched it like two days ago to start my studying up again. And like the movie itself is great, but it falls into a lot of the cliches. Um, there's a lot of action scenes where I was like, well, well, that wouldn't happen. Um, even in this timeline like this, they, they should have been dead by now. Uh, even because even with their reality, at least Trinity should, because there's no way she should have survived that elevator fight, that uh, lobby fight. Um, and um, just kind of kind of some of the things that are, are, are you see a lot of movies later on do uh just as well but it's like this is the matrix um but yet and still it is absolutely it is absolutely amazing this is again hugo weaving has some of the best characters ever and the more i watch agent smith the more i'm just like damn you are such a good villain in everything you do you are such a good actor and it's the perfect role for keanu reeves to kind of just like give that huh feeling and then but like you believe him and you want to just look into his puppy eyes and be like, sure, do whatever you want to do. Just, just do it. You don't necessarily have to, to, to act your way through it as much. We just have to believe you. And, and a lot of times Keanu Reeves is just believable in, in the, being the person you want to follow. So The whole cast is on that level, right, too, yes. I think. Oh, and, and the more I see it, Lawrence Fishburne kills. He does not get enough love. The more I see it, the more I'm like – Joey Pants, too. Uh, Joey Pants as well, because Joey Pants is great in everything. Uh, but Lawrence Fishburne's actual acting in this, he kind of is the mo is the is the is the weight of the acting in this film. Yeah, Matrix is great. I remember watching this for the first time in the theater in 1999, and you know, just when he when he when he pops out of that pod, you're like, you just knew that like things were different now, and um, it's it. it Everything everybody said about it is true. It's not fair. I shouldn't do this, but I judge the movie through the lens of the sequels. Um, the sequels have—I can't help it. I know I shouldn't, but they've—they've they've lessened 
the movie like this movie was so perfect and it's just a perfect example of the sequels coming in and kind of just bulldozing it like i just would have i wish we never got anything after he flew away like that that was it and we were done and you know the universe was ours to create in our heads um what we got was not well and i'm sorry jake i do not have high hopes for the new one um but 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 going back to the, the matrix matrix is great yes, uh we are scott and spence uh you have this oh and also i'd like to point out pace and say not enough people talk about dark city dark city came out a year before the matrix i think uh i, I don't know if i same year. oh yeah I, maybe it was i don't know if i agree with pace that dark city is better um but it did a lot of things uh and people should talk about that more it's execution uh, though and uh so scott and spence on the matrix Alex Price is also a bit of an asshole, so like, eh. uh, this is it surprisingly works for me. I feel like a movie which is so often parodied and so like like this one I felt like I had seen already because so much of it had been in the pop culture lexicon for so long. I, I finally sat down and watched it. Like, wait, no, this is actually like really, 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 really good. Uh, it was a little actual like just like a fan of '90s action films that could have been working for in favor of it. But I think it's just fantastic. I actually don't see the trans allegories, funnily, funnily enough. I think that's a little bit of digging. But I think the film on its own. Uh, Emily Vanderworth. But I'm, I'm saying, like, personally, as, like, as a viewer, I don't I don't understand. I don't see it. But uh, I think overall, just as like, a straightforward action movie, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy the script. Keanu is Keanu, which is automatically a win. And Carrie on Carrie Ann Moss is fantastic. I, I was just saying... Uh... Uh, Emily Vanderworth, the oh. the the critic, has a good uh, yeah. thing on it. I, I I read it, and it's, it's it's something I just I don't understand. I th- I think it's not uh, okay. it, it doesn't line up. Um, yeah, I kind of agree with Ruse take, or at least that's been my impression up to this point that the influence of the movie is maybe greater than the quality. I mean, I still think it's a really good movie, but um, it's not like upper echelon for me. However, it has been a few years. I am going to watch it in preparation for the new one. And I'm actually going to watch the sequels for the first time because I've never seen the sequels in preparation for the new one. And I'm actually excited to watch the sequels because uh, I know people have really come around them on them in recent years. And I, in, gen- in general, I am a pretty big fan of the Wachowskis filmmaking. So um, I think I might like this more and possibly the sequels too uh, once when I rewatch them. I never dislike them. They're, I feel like they're pretty good. Yeah. All right, number 11. Everybody's last pick before the top 10. Scott, go. We're going back to Gargantua. It's Interstellar. Hey. <laughs> oh, no. My favorite my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. Um, and look, obviously, I, I am a fan of Christopher Nolan. I have had several of his films on my list. Uh, well, Spence is writing The Tower of Terror down there or something. But um, I... Uh, I do think the one thing that holds me back sometimes from his filmmaking is the lack of emotion. Um, And I'm just left a little bit cold at the end of something like Inception, for uh, example, even though I still think it's a great movie. Um, Interstellar is not that, right? This is clearly his most heartfelt, emotional, you know, almost to an over-the-top degree uh, movie that he's ever made. And that's because it's about something that is become personal for him around the time he made this movie, which is fatherhood. Um, And I find something so cool, honestly, about the way that Christopher Nolan, who is, 
you know, made, made his career on like building these insane worlds with all these rules and everything is so calculated and there's an explanation for everything and there's all this exposition. In the third act of Interstellar, he just kind of throws his hands up and is like, I can't explain this, right? I've experienced something now as a father that I cannot explain. And it is the love that I feel for this person, uh, for my daughter. Um, and so there's something so cool about the way he kind of humbles himself in a way uh, to sort of make that point about the the black hole. And um, again, the fact that there is really no explanation for um, the way the, the impact that love can have on a person, like love being this force that just sort of supersedes everything. Um, just some, you know, extremely powerful scenes. Like I, it's been memed to death, unfortunately, but Matthew McConaughey watching the videos of his children after he's been on the ground for an hour and he gets back on the ship and 20 years have passed and he's missed his, his kids growing up. Like he's missed all of that. It's not even something you ever really see portrayed in a movie, like what that feeling would be like. And yet I think he captures it like so perfectly, like his, his like emotion in that scene, I don't know what place he had to go to to get to that level, but like that is not someone pretending to feel this emotion. Like that is he is he is like experiencing it along with this character. Like it is it is full bodied uh, him, him really going to some place to try and empathize with with this character and what he would be feeling at this particular point. Um, yeah, it's it's just uh, it's just really powerful. Um, you know, the, the very ending when he sees Murph in the hospital after all that time, it's, you know, there, there's, there's a loveliness about it. Um, but also there is a sadness that I think is necessary to make the scene work because it's like, Oh, they finally been reunited, right? Like he did it. He made it back. Like he said he was going to, but she's going to die and he's missed really everything. And, you know, there's a whole, there's a sense from watching that scene that, she has lived her life without him. She moved on. And yeah, it's great, you know, that they got to have this moment together again at the end of her life. But he really what it didn't end up being part of her life. And there's there's a definite sadness in that. It's obviously an insane movie visually. Um, the giant wave sequence um, is still one of the most mind blowing things I've seen in a movie. Hans Zimmer's score. Um, you know, it has the big walls and all that that you expect from Hans Zimmer but some of like just when he's like driving through the cornfields in his trunk in in his uh truck like some of the more like I don't know twinkly moments like almost like out of a Spielberg movie or something um are also work really well in the score um it's just a beautiful beautiful movie um I was just like speechless at the end of it because I never thought that Christopher Nolan could make a movie that made me feel something so deeply um and i think it's mcconaughey's best performance also uh i absolutely love interstellar uh scott i agree with all of the things you're saying about the like crazy emotions of this movie uh i actually uh didn't uh fully connect with the movie the first time i saw this uh, it didn't happen until on the small screen uh as much as odd as that sounds um i was left a little bit cold but uh, you mentioned that he was uh, in a place in his life where he just had a kid and he's thinking about fatherhood, right? But also, I think another thing that may be even more significant to this is that he just lost his father two years mm -hmm. earlier to that. And uh, so I didn't really get this movie. And uh, with my um, 
my, my wife for some reason uh fucking like loves this movie uh my girlfriend at the time and i was like yeah i i don't know i just uh, i didn't really connect with uh, that one for whatever reason i'm surprised you did because it's like science fiction space shit like you freaking you hate all that shit and uh but the, the realization uh that i have was that uh it had to do with because her father actually passed away at quite a young age like around the same time that matthew mcconaughey leaves in this movie and it made me realize that the whole movie is actually a giant allegory for losing a father losing a parent and them watching over you from the distance of space and seeing you grow old but not really being able to know if they can hear you or see you yeah i think it's a very spiritual movie that he's making and only on her deathbed does she get to see her father again exactly as she remembers him so i think the movie is actually working on a very semi-religious uh angle mm -hmm. uh also the opening of the movie uh as like a mission statement it's all these like old people uh who are uh from the dust bowl they're reusing dust bowl footage in like hd and and you can tell they're not actors you can tell those people um are from some documentary footage that he repurposed and the thing that i think is interesting about that is that all of those people are dead everyone that we are seeing is dead also, all the people that wrote the books in this movie on the bookshelf, they're all dead. They're all ghosts that through technology, we are um, getting some sort of uh, equivalent to an afterlife. And I think that's a huge theme in the movie. So, yeah, I love this movie. I think it is about how love is, can be transcended. It's corny, and I love it. Scott used Christopher Nolan and Humpel in the same words, in the same sentence. I think that's kind of. Crazy. I'm as surprised as you are, but it's true. Um, I don't hate this movie. I don't think it's Nolan's worst. I think it's the the back half of you know the, the downward trend of his career here. Um, but I I like all the stuff like you're talking about the the stuff at the beginning when they're still on Earth. I just love that like apocalyptic Norman Rockwell feel to, it has to it. Um, like when they go to the baseball game and everything, you see like the mm -hmm. what the world has become. I think it's really interesting to me. Um, once it gets into space, it becomes kind of a wank. I mean, it's inter it's interesting, like the the stuff, like the time stuff when they go down the planet, they go up, and the guy's waiting for him, and he's age. That's interesting. Um, it just stretches on too long, and then like I just I feel like like it it's you know like everybody's big, like I, I hate about the, what I hate about critique of this movie. People like it's it's good why because it's so scientifically accurate who cares who cares how accurate, scientifically accurate your science fiction movie is that means nothing but it's a I theme think, in the movie but it's 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 so like i think it's so like the first two-thirds of it are even more so up to the last 20 minutes like it's so like based on like you know the every you know jot and tittle of the science and then at the end it's like oh, never mind it's it's love you know it gets it's kind of and i see this point you're making with it scott but i think it just kind of betrays itself a little bit uh spence and armor on interstellar i think like as a community we might be a little harsh on it i think its first half is pretty good its second half everything after the message from home is utter dog shit and some of the worst filmmaking no one has ever done him when he's emotional truly really doesn't understand like he, he's a filmmaker who doesn't understand emotion everything there while it might be there in the script it doesn't work it, it, it doesn't connect with the characters. It doesn't connect with the audience. The follow-through is fucking empty. The idea that love transcends time is one of the worst fucking things I've heard in any screenplay 
ever. I fucking hate it. <laughs> Dunkirk is really shitty, and I fucking hate Tenet, so it's not the worst of his films, but it fucking edges it. It is what are we doing? actively bad. Yes! Yeah! You're up number. Oh, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> Scott, you knew, yeah, you knew what you were doing. Opinion. You know what people think of this movie. This is a. I have the normal opinion on this, Scott. It's a no. Bad you don't. Movie. It has a four point one average on Letterboxd. Yeah, it's a great movie. I and all too well had a higher rating than Parasite. Relax, Scott. All too well is better than Interstellar. No, this movie's beautiful. It's uh. Well, yeah. Disagree with me, Scott. Try it. And it's Rude. important that it's scientifically accurate because that's the language the movie is speaking. It's speaking. City things better. Yeah, but who cares? That doesn't yeah. make it a good movie. Uh, Rue, what's you, your take on this? I was in love when this movie came out, and I am in love currently. So let's go with this fucking film. Uh, I also unapologetically love Christopher Nolan films. It is too long, uh, but I, I and I will say the the Matt Damon thing was probably where he dropped a little bit. But I like the ending. I actually really like the ending. I like the visuals. I loved watching this movie when I watched it. I loved watching it when I saw it again. And yes, Matthew McConaughey looking at the videos from home is one of the most heart-wrenching scenes I've seen in the past 20 years or so. Mm. Really good. I, I'm in their camp. Love, love. Let's go. Let's go. Correct. All right. Uh, Spence, give us your number 11. My 11 is a truly great film from 2008. Uh, it is In Bruges. Nice. Do you want to talk about a film which perfectly understands how to balance tone? This is it. And not only that, it's not just like, oh, it's a little sad, a little, little, little funny. It is the extremes. It is the hardest I ever fucking laugh and the most depressed I feel ever watching a movie. I think this perfectly captures what it means to really just be depressed and not see like a future in your life. Because even even when he's in this idyllic silly, and even even with like one of one of his probably his closest friend, even though they're not like the closest, but still, and even, and when you're, when, you're, when you're with a girl who like can truly like have feelings for you, you do not see an end in sight. You just everything is just shitty and sad, and you want to end it all. Because you do not understand what is in front of you. And seeing, seeing Colin Farrell in this, the best he's ever been. Honestly, my favorite lead actor performance of that year. He is so fucking amazing in this. Brendan Lee's is fantastic. And Ray Fiennes has one of the, my favorite quotes ever is, You're an inanimate fucking object! This is just so great. And it's so rewatchable. Not just because, again, not, not just because of the, the incredible humor in it. I just so deeply care for these characters. Because even though... So many of them just go through shit and they die and they're living in a really fucking bad situation. I still want to come back and see them at the beginning living their life and just be with them. Uh, fucking Mark McDonough has, has created one of the best films of the 2000s. I think we need to start saying it. Anybody else have this? Okay, uh, this is another one I really like. You know, talking about Guy Ritchie, this has a real Guy Ritchie feel to it, where it blends that comedy with like the serious crime element, um, and yeah, just that that tone of just unhappiness that uh, Colin Farrell's character has, and just you know, then you slowly find out why and what he did. Um, but yeah, Ray finds this greatness is that like 
swarmy like he he's scary like he you, they set him up scary but like the fact they can like push around and talk to him the way they do is so great um yeah and i i like that character i don't want to spoil the ending but just how he kind of stick you know how he sticks to his guns you know what i mean like he has a you know very specific th- thing he feels and needs to be done and he follows through um but yeah i think this, this is a great movie everybody else on in bruges i rented this on redbox once i watched it I liked it. I don't remember it, but I remember I liked it. That I thought it was funny and sad. I really like this movie. Yeah. yeah, it's it's very enjoyable. Martin McDonough definitely does make my style of comedy, um, and so I, I have enjoyed all of his movies thus far. Um, and yeah, it's it's a fun time. All all performances are great in this. All right. Michael, I stand by it 100%. Uh, Amaru, what is your number 11? Pulp Fiction. Did I mention I like ensembles? Did I mention I like action? Did I mention I like comedy? We'll take Snatch and make it 100,000 times better. Um, it's Pulp Fiction. We've said everything we need to say about it. It's an amazing film. Samuel L. Jackson is brilliant. Um, Harvey Keitel is great. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, the, the wrath, the, the path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the, I knew that, I knew that entire Ezekiel 25, 17 at one point in life. Um, yeah, it's Pope fiction, man. I mean, I don't, I don't really got much else to say that hasn't been said aside from this movie. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, anybody else? Oh, somebody sorry. Else? Yeah, I had it. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's, you know, we talked about The Matrix. This is another movie that, like, changed movies when it came out. Uh, everyone wanted to try and make their own version of this. And, you know, the anachronistic music and, like, the weird pop culture references and the dialogue and all that stuff. But nobody did it as as well as Tarantino did it. Um, it's just an effortlessly cool movie. You just love hearing these people talk. Um, all of the different vignettes um add up to this really satisfying like one of those like you know when everything when all the puzzle pieces lock together because the time structure is so you know again inventive and all over the place um it's really satisfying to watch extremely quotable again great music cues all the stuff that you expect in a tarantino movie like this is where it was it he crystallized what his vibe was um, and he's been, you know, doing great, interesting spins on that for, you know, what, 20, 25, 30 years now. Um, but Pulp Fiction will always be one of his greatest and, you know, one of the most influential movies of its era for good reason. Yeah, I won't say too much about because I've talked about it before and everything you said, guy, is is create uh, is great, is correct. And it's the movie's great. Um so many just the way he builds a cast uh he does such a fantastic job uh just you know getting the right people um for for what he's trying to do and get on board with with you know the movie he's making uh the soundtrack is uh, fantastic and just all the needle drops and everything is are so good um but yeah i won't bemoan it because it's great i know spence has a very wrong take about this uh jake what are your thoughts on pulp fiction uh, my uh, thing, I guess, is that I just think that Quentin Tarantino grew as a filmmaker in between uh, 
Pulp Fiction and to where he is today. Uh, but I really like it. Um, sometimes I just think it's a little goofy. Like if I was going to do an impression of this movie without actually quoting this movie, I would be like, you got it, daddy-o. Like gonna go do some nose candy. Like, you know, it's a, a little, it's a little writery uh, and cutesy and it's uh invented slag um but yeah i i don't know I, it's still a really great movie my favorite sequence is uh the the bruce willis sequence i definitely did not see that character in that pick. film but okay <laughs> you know what i mean it's like ah like they're, they're all too cool <laughs> I, I i don't get it like i really don't film has evolved since 94 this revolutionized it but I don't really like it. Don't like the characters. Don't like the dialogue. Don't like Tarantino. I, I really just don't understand why people like it. And also, it, it, it a little bit like it, like the fact that it feels derivative in my head is because I've seen what has influenced since then. And I know that's like a big reason why I don't like it. So I, I go back and just like, no, I just I don't even want to watch it. It's not that it's bad. It's just like I'm like actively uninterested. I don't care about anything. I do want to say I do love this movie. It's just the I don't know why it's not on my list. Yeah, I told you Spencer's going to be wrong. All right, uh, Jake, the owl. I'm already the worst. In Jake, show. Uh, Jake <laughs> take us home with your number eleven. My favorite Hitchcock, Rear Window. Nice. I had this. Nice. Scott did it first. Scott did it. First. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, the thing about Rear Window. Um, well, it's obviously a movie that, like, you know, it's it's a very it's hitting that voyeurism theme very hard. Uh, the Hitchcock goes going on, and I actually um, actually kind of searching, I see as a weirdly like kind of a an ancestor. This is an ancestor of the movie Searching, where he's he's on the screen the whole time. Uh, I could actually really uh, imagine this movie. Seeing this movie in VR would be very enjoyable for some reason. It's something very ride-like about it where you're, you're just kind of sitting there from uh, mostly a first-person perspective trapped in this room with Jimmy Stewart and um, the commentary the movie is is making on uh, you are spying on him, spying on people. Uh, it's just, it's so cheeky and it's so much fun. And it's, it's, it's not trying to be deep which I, I think is what's so much fun about Hitchcock. He was not a pretentious man. When people talk about his movies and break them apart today, we talk about him like, I don't know, he was some, like, like he was dry. Uh, but uh, he's, no, it's, he's very sharp and funny. And uh, characters like Miss Torso and Miss Lonely Hearts. And um, I think my favorite moment in the movie, though, is when uh, Raymond Burr, the like horrifying uh, villain of this movie, uh, stares you right down uh, the camera mm -hmm. and uh, like looks right into your like soul. <laughs> yeah, love this movie. I had this in my twenties. It's also my favorite Hitchcock movie. Um, yeah, I think, just think Hitchcock is at his best when he is like exploring like the darker sides of human nature and voyeurism. In this case, Strangers on a Train, another movie that I love. It's like. Oh, we all have that one person that we wish that you know would we it would that we we would be better off if they were dead, right? He's he's exploring these ideas that we don't really want to talk about, but that are mm -hmm. like present in everyone. Um, and you know, like like Jake said, it's voyeurism here. I mean, 
the whole reason that that Jeffries even comes across this is because he's like spying he's like horny and like spying on you know the neighbor undressing across the way um and that's you know so there's like a cautionary tale in a way about like here's what happens when you don't mind your own business kind of um which which works um it's also just like so suspenseful and the the plot device of him being in a wheelchair is like adds so much to it because like for example when lisa goes across into the apartment to like investigate and you see Raymond Burr coming back while she's in the apartment and he can't do anything, right? Cause he cannot move. He is literally trapped in the wheelchair and he can't yell out because that's going to signal to, um, to, you know, to Raymond Burr's character that something is, is going on. Um, and so he's just completely helpless and you just want to like, you, you want to yell out, but there's nothing you can do. You're, you're totally in the shoes of him. And it's, it's just brilliant filmmaking. Um, another movie that, yeah, I think there's a lot of, riffs and movies that have been influenced by it but never equaled this i rewatched this recently and it shot up very high for me in my uh my hitchcock list it's not number one for me um but it's definitely up there uh the cool thing about this movie is the plot doesn't even really start for like 45 minutes for like (laughs) the first solid 45 minutes of the movie Mm -hmm. it's just him looking out the window at people and like it's great. Like if that's the whole movie, I'm okay with it. Um, great point. The uh, the other thing that I, I and I said this in my in my uh, letterbox review, the set design of this movie, like that is a like fully functioning apartment building. He's looking at like everything. Like I think like they had like running water and heat and everything. Like and hmm. then, like it's a fully functioning building. Every apartment is like fully furnished, has own life stuff going on. And then if you look down, like you know, to his, you know. To, uh, to his left, just down the alley of that building, like there's a like city block beyond. There's like a restaurant or a mm-hmm. bar or something there, and it's like fully alive. Like there's people there; they're mm-hmm. coming and going, and it just feels so real and so lived in. I just love that aspect of it so much. Um, but yeah, this is definitely um, hasn't uh, my top two uh, Hitchcock's are Lifeboat and Rope. This hasn't surpassed those yet, um, but it definitely could. It's definitely in the mix. Uh, it's very very good movie. Uh, Spence and Ombru did not have this. Tell me why. I haven't seen it. Mm. It's pretty good. Uh, I don't think I ever truly like love Hitchcock as director as much as most people. Especially one of my favorite films is North by Northwest. But I think that this is like this is really great. I really I think it's a really good film. It's 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 a film I respect more than I like actively enjoy it. I, I say I, I agree with Kirk. I think it's set is just so fucking great, and I, and I think the fact that they were able to tell such like a limited story and still have its choreography so clear is really amazing. And I I, I do love the storytelling of it, even though like it's I I think I had to sit with it a while to just sort of like accept that like it's not just a twist ending. It's just, it's a straightforward like regular ending. At first I was like wait that, that's weird. I thought I expected more. As I just sit with it, it's like no the fact that they could even keep that like oh yeah you knew who it was thing going and you're still so engaged and you're on your on your fucking you're holding your breath as it goes on it's really good all right uh that brings us to the episode we did under three and a half hours i'm proud of that um (laughs) let me give out uh rankings here uh first place this week is going to be jake um, it was nice. close, but uh, Jake had two movies for my top five. 
uh, including probably my favorite movie of all time. So that was hard to beat. The rest of his li list, there was nothing glaringly bad about it. So uh, Jake gets first place. Uh, again, everybody's close this week. Uh, second place is L.A. Spence. Holy shit! Um, <laughs> also, also got some real strong movies on there: Whiplash and A Clockwork Orange, specifically. Um, but you know, your name, some like it hot. Um, in Bruges, uh, solid top to bottom, nothing to play about there. Uh, Rue, you were close. Um, you just didn't have anything really as high as um, as, yes. as these other two guys. Yeah. Uh, Forty of Virgin, Pulp Fiction, strong. Um, but you know, the rest of your list just didn't reach their their level. And uh, Scott, you also had some great movies on your list, uh, but you all had also had Mulholland Drive, and everybody wants. I mean, them. yeah. Uh, you had. I mean. That that was the difference this week. Just you were the only one who had like movies I actively dislike. Everybody else had movies I really liked or down to middling on. Uh, so that was the difference there. Uh, next week it's our top ten Thanksgiving Eve. Uh, we will be here to see how it all ends up. How's it going to finish? How's it going to wrap up? Who's going to take the coveted first place in top ten? We will see you then on Thanksgiving Eve. Be sure to join us eight o'clock Eastern time. See you then. Intimidate me. I'm entitled to my opinion. Run! Get angry! Come on! Break the lousy cup! Ow! I hurt my arm! Did not expect everybody to do everything. I'm going there soon, you know. Is that so? Where are you going? Uruguay. Well, you go Uruguay and I'll go mine.